Hi everyone, and welcome to the 13th episode of Slime Time SideQuest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platy M3. And the bandit legend Yangus this is. Tonight, we have an out-of-this-world episode for you folks at home, and... Wait, Yangus, was that just me, or did your voice sound kind of funny there? Getting in character I am for episode tonight. Uh, really? I mean, that's kind of weird. I know we're talking about, like, almost a thousand hours of film here and tv but i don't remember any characters sounding like that from what we're talking about mm, yoda voice i do star wars we speak of oh uh, i just realized something angus um let me go look at our show notes again scrolling down um i see the star uh, Ooh, and yep here's the problem so, yeah, this is embarrassing, but looks like the title was a little messed up. Uh, let me just got a little typo here. Let me fix that. And there we go. All right. Right here. I'm highlighting it now. Yangus, go ahead and look at the show notes. Do or do not. There is no try. No, really. Look at the show notes. You you mean we're we're talking about Star Trek and not Star Wars? Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, this is what happens when you share share Google Docs. Something must have happened when we someone was editing the notes. But but, but, but I don't know anything about Star Trek. I really know about Star Wars for sci-fi stuff. I mean, yeah. I, come on, come on, Platy. Look, I'm not doing this episode. Do you understand me? We're not doing this episode, man. Come on. That's what I said about Mario when we did that. Now, did not, we? I don't want to hear about the Mario thing again. Okay, listen here. Yeah, you know there wasn't enough Waluigi or Wario in those things. Oh, again with the Waluigi. Come right, on, man. You gotta right. let it go. Seriously. All right, cut it off. Jeez, oh, I don't know. I have an idea though. Um, how about we just get some guests on here that know a hell of a lot more than me and. I guess a whole lot more than you about Star Trek. <sighs> fine, fine. Let's just get this show on the road. I practice my Yoda voice, can't even use it anymore. Oh, whoa. did you say something there, Yangus? No, 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 no. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> uh, now, uh, who did you uh, have in mind to help us out tonight, Platy? Well, for as much Star Trek content uh, we need to trek through, but I'm bump. I figure we need several crew members to lend a hand. So please welcome back to Slime Time. We've got Austin Erevar. Maybe we do. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. <laughs> he made it through. He made it through the Star Wars joke. And we I got did Brian. I was really waiting for a groan. I was really waiting. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got Brian and Pendy back with us too. Hey, how's it going? I, I was kind of hoping but... this was gonna. <laughs> I'm nothing but a red shirt, man. Oh, man. Uh, I think Yangus is the ultimate red shirt of this episode. <laughs> yep. Well, <laughs> you, you know what get that, that means. Joke, Yangus? <laughs> yes, that one. That okay. one. I understand. All right. So don't worry. I'll be there by halfway through the episode. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you might be dead by the opening credits. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed anyways. I thought this was going to be about space balls. So, you know, I'm way off. <laughs> so we're all yeah, Star Trek. I'm, I'm tracking. I'm tracking with Star Trek. Let's set right. our phasers to pun. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> set those phasers to pun. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, we're going to try to go through uh, pretty much everything that Star Trek has to offer today. Um, we're going to do it, you know, rapid fire. Um, try not to spend uh, too long on anything. Otherwise, this episode could probably last as long as a season of uh, the newer shows. But uh, 
Aust, I'm going to turn this over to you at the beginning because uh, you're going to probably intro a lot of our series. We're going to try to go in order of what release and hit the movies at the end. But other than that, let's start talking. <clears throat> All right. Well, the uh, the only place to start is the original series, uh, which is technically just called Star Trek. Uh, so it it first aired uh, September eighth, nineteen sixty six. It was the the uh, the first episode that aired was called The Man Trap, uh, which actually wasn't the pilot, but it was the first episode that aired on TV. Um, the show was originally pitched as sort of like a, a wagon train to the stars. That's the uh, tagline they used a lot. Um, and that it was supposed to be sort of a western tone to it. Uh, they thought they would draw in a larger audience with that. And also they uh, they had the promise, or, or Gene made the promise, that uh, Gene Roddenberry, that they could reuse a lot of sets from other television shows like westerns or uh, shoot, uh, they used a, a, a Roman set once. Um, modern day sets uh they they wanted to reuse a lot of props and stuff from other shows and that sort of gave it its western feel uh but really it was just a way to save money because this was sort of a budget series and that's often what um the campiness of it is what one of the things that's so iconic about it to so many so many of the fans um but uh this show really it set the it obviously it it set the the stage for the the spin-off shows uh the the best the best thing i can say about the original series and what it inspired the follow-up shows to do is that it carried the key tenet that each show or or, or most of the episodes at least were based around a moral parable of sorts or an ethical dilemma that um the main cast would go to a planet and teach the inhabitants there you know this is uh what you're doing here is unethical and this is the way or you know this is how things should be uh really sci-fi at its best does that and star trek that's that's always been a key tenet to star trek and that's what this show set up when did you uh i thought i cut out for a second so uh when did you start watching this i mean obviously none of us were alive in 1966 not even you not even i was i mean i was alive the next decade but uh um i started watching it um in the 2000s i was probably i was around 11 or 12 so it was just at the start of the 2000s my dad got me started with the the original series um he introduced it to me and uh, sort of he laid out the plan for me that I would watch it all in the same manner that he watched it as a kid. So I started with the original series and went on to the animated and movies and everything that came after in the in the order that it came came in. So I sort of have, a, <clears throat> I guess, a more of a traditional view on the franchise compared to maybe people my age and that the original series is the heart of Star Trek. I mean, as much as I love Deep Space Nine and and next generation may even be my favorite series uh tos is star trek and you can't really can't really classify it as anything other than the what what really is star trek and, and all the other shows are really just standing on its back yeah i i totally agree with that i um i have a lot of trekkie friends but a lot of them didn't come in until you know deep space nine or voyager uh the original series isn't one that i watched first but mm-hmm. it's it's always the one that um it's the most decisive among a, a lot of newer Trek fans because, you know, it's so old and it's kind of got a different message compared to 
even you know even though it's got the core tenets of what every series has you know a lot of people like to say that it wasn't as good as you know uh later series which i more or less disagree with um just based on the terms of what roddenberry tried to do with with the series yeah um you know it's it's uh it's kind of complicated because i mean for one it's such a short series and compared to all the others uh but uh really i think the what the famous phrase is you know it's star trek 76 episodes half of them are good uh because you know there are a lot of i don't and i don't know if it's actually 76 episodes that's just a uh i guess but uh, there are a lot of, um, especially in season three, some of the more less well-written, I guess, episodes. Uh, it's 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 difficult to really um, compare it to the others in a lot of ways, just because it came so early and the tone is often so different. It's also one of the first shows of its kind in the era it came from. So it's kind of hard when you've got so many shows today that have built off of, uh, you know, the success of previous shows to, you know, what's good to do and what's not good to do. This was this was more or less the beginning. I don't know of any other sci-fi show from the 60s, maybe even the 70s, really, because this show got canceled. It got canceled after what the first or second season before they brought it back to finish it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was the. Uh, at the end of the second season, it got canceled, and then they brought it back for the third. Yeah, because it was such a it was such a different beast compared to everything else on TV that it kind of alienated the you know the fan base from. Uh, well, maybe that's not the right term, but it was just uh, it was very different, and I think that just put a lot of people off. Well, it was, yeah. it was very culturally progressive for the show that it was at the time as well. So there was some pushback on that. Because there's a famous scene of Kirk kissing Ohura, um, the inter- first interracial kiss on TV. And there were some places in this outfit that didn't even air it. They're like, ah, screw this show. So like yeah. they were dealing with that, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was that was also sort of a, a key it's a key thing about Star Trek in general. And it was started with the original series. I mean, look at the way the women dress at, at the time. That was progressive, you know. Uh, the sexual sexual liberation movement was going on, and yeah. the, that women could have the choice to dress that way was was at the heart of progressivism. Yeah, Yeoman Janice Rand. But yeah, short, and skirt be any shorter. Something that a lot of people don't really mention uh, specifically about Yahora, you know, like she was a bridge officer. I mean, she was the communications officer, but she, you know, she's there on the bridge holding her own with, you know. A bunch of like you know a bunch of white men. They've got uh, the, the uh, Scotsman. They've got the Russian man. They've got the the Jap- you know Japanese man Sulu. All these this diverse cast and di- diverse characters all holding, you know, pretty important positions on the starship right there on the bridge. Yeah, you've got a Russian on the on the crew, and that was in the yeah. heart of the Cold War. Yeah, that was going on at the time. So that's a big deal. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and that's not even something I was planning to talk about a lot, but uh, that is a, an important factor. Um, aside from that, uh, at the time, really, science fiction on television, pretty much the only things you had were like Flash Gordon or Lost in Space, which, you know, are, are fine shows in their own right, but they're not the same type of science fiction that you would read, you know, in like the periodicals at the time, which sort of explored the human condition. Mm-hmm. Forgot all about Flash Gordon. And I used to watch... Uh... 
a lot of the uh, sci-fi version that they did about 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I think I saw a few episodes of that when it was on. Mm-hmm. So before we get too far, I was going to um, share. I got into the show, gosh, I guess early 80s. I, I was pretty young and I used to come home and it was always on. Uh, like, I feel like it was one of those shows that was always on every afternoon, you know, four or five, six o'clock. It was on one of the local channels constantly. So, sorry, you said early 80s. So you were watching the original series on syndication? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I watched the original one in syndication um, and I remember it was always cool. My mom would always remind me. She's like, you know what? Uh, your aunt lives right next door to Leonard Nimoy's daughter. So my aunt and Leonard Nimoy's daughter live next to each other for 20, 30 years, I think. And I've got a signed photo from Leonard Nimoy saying to Matt, live long and prosper. Um, so that, I always had like that connection when I was young. But my mom loved the show. My mom remembered watching it when she was younger um, and just uh, that's one of the things I remember watching with my mom early on, like kind of being there, watching that with her, waiting for my dad to come home from work. That was my earliest memories of Trek. That's that's pretty nice. Um, for mine, I started watching, you know, I I was born in the mid 80s, so I didn't start watching Next Generation probably until its latter half, really. But I was watching it as it aired on TV in the early 90s and that rolled over to Deep Space Nine at the same time since the last few seasons intermingled with each other. So I'd sit down with my dad every week and we would watch those two shows. And it kind of just continued into the beginning of Voyager. Um, I never actually finished Voyager on when it was airing on TV, but I watched the first few seasons for sure. And that's about my earliest. Yeah, about the early, early 90s for that. Because I think Next Generation ended in... 93 or 94? I think it was 94. 94? So that's about where I'm at with it. And then I've just, you know, been a fan ever since about 30 years now, actually. Almost 30 years. Yeah, I started watching Trek uh, when Next Generation was on the air because I was born in 80, so I was old enough to watch it when it was it was airing. Um, with the original Star Trek series, I didn't go back and watch that maybe until like 10 years ago. Like at that point, I had already seen like the movies. So I was uh, still familiar with the, the cast and I'd seen some episodes here and there but I didn't actually go and like sit down and properly watch the series until like I said about 10 years ago I think it was through Netflix maybe early Netflix but unfortunately the the way that I saw it was they had it was the um that the where they had redone the space effects for the ship yeah um, in this crappy CGI that was oh yeah awful but it was even because <laughs> like the the old, the old original stuff, like it's not great it's TV, sixties TV quality, but it wasn't it wasn't horrible. It's models and looked fine, but like when they tried to redo it, it looked even worse. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> that that that, yeah. that that right there is actually one of the reasons that I when when they finally put the original series on Blu-ray, I bought it on the Blu-ray over over just getting it on DVD because. On the DVD, it only has the new CG or CG effects and everything, but on the yeah. Blu-ray, it gives you the choice of which one you want, and I always just Good. go with the original. Good, because I think the original actually does look better. Yeah, they they did those uh, CG effects in the mid two thousands, I think, when they remastered them for DVD. Personally, I I do like them. I like the CG effects. Uh, probably not as much as the original effects, just because so much of what the show is is 
what it was, you know, when it was made. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. I just uh, but, I'm a so I'm a sucker for retro stuff. So yeah, it just yeah. kind of tickles my fancy to 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 yeah. have the to have the option to hey, I'd like to see if I'm watching this episode, I'd like to see the original effects for it. Or I can just, you know, swap over if I want. Yeah, and that's valid. And and the Blu-rays are nice because you can literally swap over in the episodes uh, just by pressing the angle. Oh, button. yeah. Yeah. Um, which I noticed on, I don't remember which episode it was, but it's one where they beam down to a planet and um, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are, like, crossing this, I guess it's like a bridge across a chasm. And it's actually different. Like, they, in the original, they had a close-up of... Uh, Shatner, Kelly, and Nimoy walking, but in the uh, remaster, they did like this huge uh, pulled back view of them walking across because I guess they could actually do, you know, like a wide effect of them walking. But it's like, man, you just you cut out a scene with William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly in it. It's like that's part of the original episode. Uh, that's a step beyond remastering like ship effects, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I hate. I hate to. Bring, I know this is Star Trek, and we're doing nothing but Star Trek. But I hate to bring up Star Wars. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <Again>. Already. <laughs> but I, I just. It's, I like. I like that they have that option where you can do the look at the original and then look at the and look at the new stuff. You can choose. Like I don't know why that's such a big deal to be able to do that with the older Star Wars movies too. And I'll shut up about it. That's all I had. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's true. George Lucas no would more. never have allowed that to happen. <laughs> we must talk about Star Wars more. <laughs> Let now, it does, Wars that is a <laughs> that is worth mentioning though, because I mean, this has sort of become known as like the Lucas effect, wherein you go back and change something uh, so much yeah. and, and just leaving. And and there's a a fine line like remastering the ship effects. It's far away from what they d- did with Star Wars, but uh, yeah. it is worth mentioning, especially when you're talking about removing scenes of actual the actual actors. Yeah. All right. Before we get going too far into all of Star Trek, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to keep us moving along, like about every 15 minutes, moving to a new series. But favorite episodes from the original series? What do you guys got? Oh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, yeah, it was it was really hard to choose one because they're all so great. You know, the good ones are really great. So, uh, but probably at least my favorite right now is Balance of Terror. And it was the, um, the first episode where we encountered the Romulans. And it's really, it's, it's like the epitome of what a space battle should be in any sci-fi show, in my opinion, but especially in Star Trek, because so much of it is not based around the ships actually firing on each other. It's, it's about tension and it's, uh, it, uh, it took a lot of inspiration from like submarine combat which is what what um, space battles would would sort of uh, translate to rather than, you know, ship to ship combat on the surface of water. Uh, it, it just the 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 tension that they build with the dialogue and how the the two main, you know, uh, sides interact with each other is perfect i think at least in in terms of the way they did it here uh because you know there's like there's no fancy visual effects there's just two characters trying to stay step one step ahead of the other Mm -hmm. um my favorite one was uh city on the edge of forever which uh introduces the guardian forever that is this portal to any space and any time and you say oh because They've uh, they they brought that back in the most recent series, uh, the most recent uh, what is it? The recent season of Discovery. Yep, that makes a reappearance. So, um, you know, hey, this goes with what you said about reusing effects because they uh, (laughs) they end up in the 1930s New York, uh, probably some 
you know, leftover film set from that. And Kirk falls in love with this woman, but Spock and they realize that, you know, the timeline's been changed and they have to go fix the timeline here being in the 1930s. And it's this woman that Kirk falls in love with. She she has to die and they have to let her die in the episode, because if not, she starts a peace movement that is so successful that the United States doesn't enter World War Two in time and the Nazis pretty much take over the world. So, you know, it. It, it like it's very at the end they have to let her die they have to let the um timeline go on so kind of impactful there at the end but i've got a couple funny ones trouble with tribbles uh absolutely Tribbles. hilarious we'd watch that all the time um and then another one was called shore leave and they were on a planet where pretty much <laughs> everything they thought of would become reality Oh yeah, I think they had Alice in Wonderland and the Big Rabbit and Damsel no, in Distress and all those weird things. That the first episode you mentioned, I watched that one with my dad, and he kind of sat me down and gave me kind of gave me a moral guidance lesson on <laughs> on all of that when I was like ten years old. So I remember that episode on What's time that? travel. Uh, no, <laughs> on, on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dangers of time travel. On the dangers of time <laughs> travel and keeping the timeline pure, <laughs> keeping it pure. Um. I would have to say my favorite episode was probably the Doomsday Machine. It's a good one. It's a man. It's a great one. That one won a Hugo for best dramatic presentation uh, back in back in 1968 for it. Um, I also really like it because James Duhon said it was one of his favorite episodes, and it was also one of the most scientifically accurate episodes of all the original series. Mm. Also, it had uh, William Wyndham in it, who played. Uh, Drecker. Decker. And he, yes, and he's a really good actor. So he he did a pretty fantastic job with it. Little side note, uh, they never mentioned this in the film, but within canon and uh, behind the scenes, that uh, character Decker was supposed to be the father of the Decker character in Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Hmm. Really? Hmm. Yep. But well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if I really have a favorite, but uh, what comes to mind for me would be the one where, <laughs> which I thought was funny, I forget what it was, but they went down to a planet, and I think it was these plants or something that made them all go nutso, and like Spock lost all his logic and fell in love with some lady, and it was all yeah. goofy. That was, that was funny. Um, but what, something I, I did just want to add, though, that I appreciated uh, was uh, going back and seeing the, the pilot uh, that, that wasn't aired at first, and I loved how they eventually incorporated that into the universe through different shows and, and stuff and characters, stuff like that. It was nice. Yeah, the original pilot that recently got picked up. Uh-huh. Nice. <laughs> 60 years later, they're, they're making a show based around <laughs> Captain Pike and Mr. Spock. Oh, that's yep. right. Oh, that'll be... <laughs> that's so funny. Strange new worlds, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Better late yep. than never. All right. Let's go on to the next series, which is kind of just an offshoot of the first one. Oh, yeah. That's me. That's uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, as you said, the animated series is sort of a just a, an offshoot of the, the original series. Uh, it aired between 73 and 74. So that was um that was what that was four years after it, it had 
been can the actual show had been canceled and went off the mm -hmm. air. Uh, they told uh, some of the same types of stories that they did in TOS, um, except it was it was more aimed. I mean, it, you could say it was aimed at children, but it was really meant for the whole family, and that's the that's the way that the producers and the writers went into it. Um, if you're like a, a diehard fan of TOS, then you probably should watch this because you know it's. It's really the last time you see these characters in this setting before they go on to the movies and things start changing. Uh, it's got almost entirely the original cast. I can't remember who who didn't reprise their role. It may have been Walter Koenig or Walter Koenig who played Chekhov. I think mm -hmm. I think he I don't think he came back, but everybody else did. Uh, you had you know you got Bill Shatner, you got Spock or Nimoy, you got Michelle Nichols. I think. I think Nichols and uh, James Doohan played like 50 different characters in this show, like just random aliens and stuff. <laughs> but they also reprised their original roles. Um, it's it's actually, it's notable in that it's the only Star Trek series that has ever won a daytime Emmy. Uh, it was really successful for, a, a, I mean, a sci-fi cartoon. I don't, I can't imagine there were many of them at the time I, I wasn't watching you know i wasn't watching animated television then because i wasn't alive and i and i you know <laughs> other than other than the ones aimed at like little you know kids like scooby-doo and stuff like that but i can't think of anything that was probably on at the time that i've actually seen but uh it, it was it, it's it, that's one thing that always takes me by surprise is the fact that it was it actually was recognized and got an Emmy when things in the in, in Next Generation, you know, never even got them nominated. Hmm. I'm, you know, I never actually watched that many episodes of the animated series, but from what I, from the few that I did watch, it it felt just like a regular Star Trek episode, and it was it was fantastic at that. Yeah, it, it mostly is, and uh, I, I say all this with a caveat: is that I mean, it's it's mostly skippable because there's not there's not a lot in there that really stands out. Uh, none of it is bad, and none of it is even I would say mediocre. It's just there's nothing there's nothing uh, groundbreaking. It's kind of more of the same, but maybe taken down a level just so that kids can little kids can understand it. Um, just more digestible, right? Um, I I love it personally just because I watched I did watch it as a kid and I watched it after TOS and and uh, at the time I don't think I really appreciated it just uh, because the sound effects aren't the best probably my biggest complaint with the show is that they they have this problem of just never letting uh, scenes be quiet they're always playing music but. Uh, um, I mean, you, those actors can act, and the writers who wrote it, most of them worked on TOS, and they can write. So it's it's not, you know, it's it's hard to go wrong there. Yeah, this is one I've never seen, and uh, I, I really do need to uh, track it down and watch I this. Think, I mean, it's, I think it's all up on Netflix. I think Netflix has most of the Star Trek shows. I believe. I believe so. Yeah, I think yeah. it's on there. They Unless just don't have the movies. CBS Unless CBS has pulled it all off uh, to put on their own thing, which I, I'm sure they will do. I just don't know if they've done it yet. I don't think uh, they've done it It was all on there. No, yeah, no. It, I know it, most it was of it's all there. On there. So, yeah, mm -hmm. this, this is on there. Yeah, I just saw. I just looked to see that Voyager and Enterprise are still on there like, as of today. So they haven't I'm sure, anything yet. I'm sure, I'm sure TAS is then, too. They they uh, remastered some of it for the Blu-rays and it looks really good compared to what I watched when I was mm. when I was a kid. On oh, no. a good old blurry CRT television. 
You know, yeah. I don't think the animated series is. It looks like pretty much the only one really? that is not. Yeah, I mean, we got Voyager, Original, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise. No, it is not on Netflix. That's crazy. I wonder if it has something to do with them having a new animated series and uh, not wanting competition. <laughs> oh, you know what? It's on Amazon Prime and oh, CBS All Access. Yeah, I'm sure all of it's on CBS All Access. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, since I'm the only one that's seen it, um, I guess I'll give my favorite episode. I think it's like the <laughs> first one uh, called Yesteryear. And speaking of The Guardian Forever, this is the first time that uh, story mechanic came back after City on the Edge of Forever. Um I don't want to spoil too, too much of it, but it, it involves time travel and you get to see Spock's childhood a little bit. And it was our first look at some of uh, the culture on the planet Vulcan. Um, at the time, I don't think Gene Roddenberry considered uh, animated series canon and it wasn't really canonized. If you if you care about canon, uh, a lot of people don't, but it, it was recently canonized, I think, gosh, um, before Discovery came on, like not long before that. Uh, so, but yeah, um, even when it was not considered canon, it um, went on to inspire the Vulcan arc in Star Trek Enterprise and that in season four. They they took the, I think the name of the city is Kirshara. They took the name from that. They took a uh, they took a lot of the design of uh, Vulcan housing and stuff from this from this episode. Um, it, it it definitely gave uh, the future designers, you know, sort of an idea of what to do. And I I do believe I think it's probably a fan favorite episode. Anyway, it's definitely one. Of, it's definitely my favorite out of the entire uh, what thirteen episodes. I don't know how many episodes there are. This maybe 22. maybe more like twenty two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 I don't think it even had a full second season. So No, it looks like it was like 12, not even 12. It looks like it was like 16 and 6 or something like that. Right. So so since this uh, episode, it, and it was the second one, I was looking through some stuff as you were talking. Um, since it deals with Spock's childhood, Michael's in there, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay, I'm... on that forgettable note. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many things to say about that. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back around to that in about an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> but on a happier note, uh, let's talk Star Trek The Next Generation. And also, I'll let you uh, introduce this one. Okay, so uh, Star Trek The Next Generation was the first Star Trek spinoff, at least the first major one. I guess you could consider the animated series to be a spinoff. But like I said, uh, Roddenberry himself didn't consider it canon. So uh, a lot of fans... Uh, I consider Next Generation to be the first major spinoff. Uh, it first aired in 1987. It was the first show that didn't have Captain Kirk or Spock or any any of those uh, characters as part of the leads. Set 100 years after the original series, and they upgraded a lot of the visuals, sort of to <clears throat> to show that it was a you know a, a future that was pretty different from the original series. Uh, a lot of fans consider this the best the and uh yeah mm-hmm. and uh well, this, this starts to bleed over into my personal opinion but it does have like the most consistent number of uh good episodes out of any of the series at least in my opinion until you hit season six uh, that's true yeah for me it's mainly <laughs> season seven and there's a reason for that it's because uh <laughs> yep. all the writers were working on deep space nine at that point mm-hmm. and uh the first film so especially in season seven they reused a lot of rejected scripts from earlier seasons <laughs> so uh most of season seven to me is forgettable except for what a uh, lower decks and uh 
There's got to be another episode in season seven that's worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's 22, you know, throw a dart. You can probably find one. Uh, well, the finale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's all good the things, best, right? All good things, yeah. One of the best television finales I've ever seen. And then there's uh, Sub Rosa, the episode where Crusher has uh, relations with a space ghost. <laughs> Living on a planet that's modeled after Scotland. Wesley. Uh, not Wesley Crusher, Beverly Crusher. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't. I think it, Wesley would be the one, first off. Uh, Falling have, in love uh, with Space Ghost. Have any of you uh, <laughs> seen that episode? Do you remember it? Uh, which one was that? Sub Rosa. Sub Rosa. It, the name doesn't sound familiar, but it's it's uh like if you Google a list of worst Star Trek episodes, it'll be in there. Just <laughs> a Spock brain. Oh, you know what? I saw, I see a single frame of this one, and I absolutely remember it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the one with the it's the one with the with the with the green space ghost inhabiting uh, Crusher, and you're just like, yeah, what? Oh God, now I remember this. Oh, uh, the yeah, cheese! It's, the cheese! Yes, it's like uh, I mean they never explicitly state it, but it's like she's having sex with the space ghost on TV, and it, <laughs> it's disturbing. And it's supposedly the same space ghost that used to visit her grandmother to give it oh. an extra layer of creepiness. Oh, yeah, hey, hey, it's an awful episode, so we don't have to talk about it that much. <laughs> They're keeping it in the family, I guess. They're keeping. <laughs> You look it's just so like hard your grandma. Pick, it's so hard to pick a favorite from this series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I, I mean, I remember when this came out. I th- This was, you know, right around the time that I was sitting watching Kirk every afternoon coming home from school. Um, and it, this came out when I was in elementary school. And I remember, like, making myself a little flag, like a little pennant, and putting it on a stick. And I'm like waving it like go star trek and like laying on the couch like i can i can actually picture myself i can picture like um the blanket that we always had over that house and that room in my house where i was nine years old watching this like i've and that i just grew up with this show every week you know it was probably the most the first like serialized something that i would have to wait for and Actually, like, because it wasn't on every day. Like Kirk, man, I could come home every day and watch some Kirk and um, Kirk and Spock. But you know, if I wanted to know what happened next um, with Picard, I had to wait to the next week. Or God forbid, you know, w- one of my favorite episodes, and I think a lot of people's top of their list, uh, the best of both worlds mm-hmm. episode where uh, Picard gets turned into a Borg, and that was a cliffhanger, and I was like twelve. And I didn't know what cliffhangers were. Holy crap! I got to wait like four months, five months oh, to man. find out what happens. That must have been awful. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody raised in the uh, well. I mean, hell, what the hell? You watch it on Netflix now. Yeah. Um, series. They you got to wait a year to find out what happens at the end of cliffhangers. But we um, we were signed up for this service that would send you VHS tapes in the mail. I was mm-hmm. supposed to get all of Next Generation on VHS, and then Spike TV started airing it, so we just started recording it off television. But mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see this as it was air- airing. Uh, I saw it in the 2000s after I'd finished the original series, and I was so excited to get to it because to me, this was like the futuristic Star Trek. You know, it was it was the one I wanted to w- really <laughs> wanted to watch while my dad made me watch all the movies and stuff first. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, man, uh, best of both worlds. That's 
at least in television history, that has to rank like a top ten list of best cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. I just and, and were there cliffhangers? I mean, there had to have been the concept of cliffhangers around before that, but like, well, yeah, I, yeah, it, cliffhangers have been soap operas. Yeah. Oh, now they used to do that stuff on uh, the Lone Ranger in the fifties, so it's nothing right. new. Oh, okay, Transformers used to do this that kind of thing on radio uh, shows. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, that's well, true. This is not a new concept. Oh, you, so who? Somebody mentioned soap operas, but, um, and that was one reason I actually got into this show even more so because uh, the actor who played Q, uh, John Delancey, yeah. he was in my mom's uh, soap opera. What was it? Uh, <laughs> Days of Our Lives. Oh, he was a character so on that. Yep. He was, he was in Days on of there. Our Lives. Oh, yeah. For like, I, th- I looked it up tonight. It was like for seven or eight years, I think like 82 through 89. Wow. So, I mean, my mom would watch that all the time. I'd probably only, you know, briefly, I never sat down and like watched it, watched it. But like all summer when I was home, it'd be on. And this was before we were recording shows. And, you know, my mom got learned how to program the VHS machine just to tape this every day when she went back to work. <laughs> so but yeah i loved q and i was like oh i recognize that guy it's funny you mentioned him plenty because um i haven't seen star trek next generation but i have seen um the actor for q in a few different shows and i've heard his voice and voice acting in a few different things um i had recently rewatched um what was it breaking bad and I forgot that that John Delancey guy actually shows up in that show as the dad of one of the girls that Jesse dates on it. Yep. He has a bit yeah, of a mental breakdown, and it's like, oh, poor guy. Right, but, he was, yeah. The air traffic controller. Yeah. Oh. Mr. Margolis, I think. Yes. Yeah, that was the end. That was season two, yeah, that was right? season Three. two, yep. yep. All right. Oh, on a side note, um, on a, I just want to say on a side note, I found someone who actually cosplayed Beverly Crusher and the Ghost from what we, the oh, episode oh, we were talking about. no. <laughs> this is beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. Michi has cosplayed Beverly Crusher a few times. Hopefully, it wasn't. Oh yeah, because Michi <laughs> loved Beverly Crusher. That would be a good match. No, I was on you know, Team Troy. Yeah, me too. I'd have to say, if I had to pick a favorite episode, mine was one of the later season episodes. But it was um, from season five. It was called Cause and a. And this yeah. episode was where the Enterprise gets stuck in a time loop of that ends up in its own self-destruction at the end of the time loop because they kind of pass through this That's space right. anomaly. And mm-hmm. once they get to the end of it, um, because of, uh, I, I believe it's another ship hits them and it causes them to explode and they go, you know, it rewinds back to the front of the anomaly and only one person uh, kept their memory the whole time. And I think that was uh, Commander Riker, if I remember oh. right. It's been a while uh, since I've watched this episode. Yeah, and he's trying to convince the whole crew the whole time. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was good. Good up. Yeah, so, and it's it's funny because I, I read an article on this, like, years later. Because I watched this. This was one of the ones that I saw when I aired on TV, which is why it's so cemented in my memory. But... Years later, I remember reading an article about it of when it originally aired, um, a lot of TV stations were getting calls specifically about this episode because people weren't paying attention to the episode, I guess, because there was a lot of, you know, repeated scenes in the episode because it was a constant time loop. (laughs) And people people thought something was wrong with with the airing of the uh, episode. Yeah. I've seen the scene before. Five yeah, minutes I've ago. I've heard that. I've heard oh, that story a few times. Uh, I, I thought that you were going to say that people were upset. It's like, how could you kill them all off? <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, 
this was the first time that kind of uh, quirky story mechanic was ever done. You know, the X-Files sort of did a version of this. I'm sure plenty of other shows have done, you know, these like repeated time travel type, type stories. But um, this was kind of groundbreaking. Groundhog Day then. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the best. That's the best way to sum it up. Uh, mm-hmm. But this was groundbreaking at the time, really, when, when yeah. they did that. So what uh, a kind of a. Uh another one of my favorite episodes that also was a character that I really liked reading about later on the, the next generation. I remember very specifically one year, gosh, I, I mean, I was a young teenager. Uh, I had to go to the mall with my grandmother for one of her piano lessons. Just so happened. My grandmother lived two doors down. So they were babysitting one afternoon. My parents were somewhere. So I had to go to the mall and my grandmother hands me like $10. And I mean, I didn't want to go far. I was like, eh, there's a bookstore next door. And I just so happened like to see Star Trek. And I know very much it was Star Trek, the next generation, like book 16. Um, can't really remember what it was, but I like specifically remember his number 16. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to be here at the mall for an hour. Let me buy a book and sit down and read it. And I ended up devouring probably a good 100, 150 Star Trek books over the next decade. And one of the characters I like that w- would kind of pop up in books all the time was Tasha Yar, which was, what was she, like, communications? Oh, she was uh, security. to be head of security, but didn't really I, do much. I hear she was good at data entry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh Got man. Him. Got him. Wow. <laughs> um, but I know, like, the actress quit in, like, the middle of season one. She wanted to be written yeah. off. She didn't like her part. It wasn't big enough. And was just like, no, I didn't sign on for this. So they killed her off pretty quickly, um, unmemorably. And just like, you know, suddenly Worf's the head of security and they got all better. But they kind of retconned her death years later. They had one of those time travel kind of time loop episodes where the Enterprise C pops up out of a time rift. And there's a mission where they realize that the whole timeline has changed again, kind of like going back to City on the Edge of Forever. And they need to send Enterprise C back into this time rift to get destroyed because that's what kind of cements the bond between the Federation and the Klingons because Enterprise C was defending a Klingon outpost post from a Romulan attack. So she appears in this episode, having been still alive in this new timeline. And they, she decides she talks to, uh, what is it? Gideon, Gideon and goes Guinan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guinan goes back onto enterprise C and travels into the past and in the new timeline. And then years later, they find out that they, they brought the actress back as a Romulan. Like her mom actually survived that, ship getting blown up and was captured by the Romulans and had a baby and so they got her back on a little bit but I, I thought that was a really cool kind of retcon there through the time travel oh yeah that's a, that's in the show I forgot about that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember her popping back up and yeah not knowing anything about contract write-offs and all that stuff so <laughs> yeah exactly I mean who knew that back in the late 80s early 90s yeah yeah yesterday's enterprise is a it's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my favorites. Like I said, it's hard to pick a favorite. Oh, Fistful of Data is another one I really enjoy. <laughs> oh, yeah. The Western holiday. Just because just it's such a ridiculous episode. You know, they use, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the one where the uh, holodeck corrupts and everyone's replaced by Data over time, right? Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Worf is trying to figure out awesome. something with his son. And uh, Troy is there. 
mm-hmm. and all of the uh, in, basically NPCs of the program become data. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, and at the end, the like I guess the Miss Kitty character is replaced by Data, and Worf has yes. to kiss her to end the program. <laughs> yep. At the end, he's just kissing Data. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the you know the holodeck that having that introduced into the series was great because you didn't always have to do time travel to get around all the uh, or go down to different planets. You could just you'd be in the holodeck and suddenly you'd have completely different than always the same old space episode every. Yeah, that's how we had all that fun with Moriarty. Which yeah. reminds me, the holodeck was first introduced in the animated series. Oh, oh really? Really? Yeah, for like five seconds, it's on screen. But it counts. <laughs> oh man! And then it was made into debauchery in the following series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if I had to pick my favorite, which is really hard to do, um, it'd probably be the Inner Light, which is oh, the episode yeah. where yeah, that's where a the, good one. The Enterprise encounters a satellite, and um, the satellite like forms a mental connection with Captain Picard and. Basically, what it's doing is it's transferring memories that have been loaded onto the satellite from the people who launched it. And it allows Picard to live through the life of one of the... I I can't remember if the the man was like one of the scientists who worked on the satellite, but he lives through his life and like sees uh, sees how the planet that he's living on is is going to meet its end. And, you know, he has a family and he has kids and it's like... He lives this man's life in 30 seconds, and it's, like, so impactful, especially when he, you know, wakes up and realizes that, hey, he's been lying on the the floor of the bridge of the Enterprise the entire time, really, that he was, thought he was living this other life. Uh, It was, it's, it's one, it's absolutely ranked like amongst the top 10 of, of the series and mm-hmm. the franchise. Uh, I think it, yeah, it won a hero for best dramatic presentation. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Uh, I was going to list that as one of my favorite episodes too. just living that entire life lifetime in a, in a few minutes. Yeah. It's definitely one of the, the best ones I liked as well. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure other stories or other uh, series and stuff have done stories like this since then. But again, you didn't see this kind of stuff on on television, and you know it. It's hard to find fault with anything that Patrick Stewart does. Like his acting is definitely amongst the best, you know, in in acting in general. Oh yeah, like uh, one of my other episodes I was going to mention was the one where he gets uh, tortured the, almost the entire episode, oh, and he has to go through yeah. that psychological trauma. Like the way he plays that is just fantastic. That's the uh, Chain of Command two-parter, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And having David Warner as a Cardassian is just <laughs> ch- yeah, the cherry on top. He is so good at it. They both were so good in that. It's, that is definitely like one of my favorites. Yeah, it's 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 so hard to pick a favorite, but I guess if I really had to, this is probably the one that's just like impacted me the most out of the entire franchise. Maybe it rivals another one that we'll talk about later. Don't worry, we'll hold you to this <laughs> for a while. So, so what is uh, I gotta ask? Uh, so, what does everyone think of uh, the Wesley Crusher character? Because uh, mm-hmm. all right, I, so I... moving on to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if 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 you want to, at the you wanna time know... I was his age, so it to me it like I've not yeah, really I, gone back and watched I, it a lot, but I, I grew up with Crusher growing up, so. He was okay. It was fine. It didn't 
really strike me as weird. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I and I was in the same. I, I was in the same boat because yeah, I, I was a, around the same age. But I just I just couldn't stand them. And maybe that's just my thing because that was a big thing with me growing up, where I would watch certain series, especially in the eighties, cartoons like uh, Transformers and things like that, where they they would have like all these cool robots, or they'd have all these cool dinosaurs. But then they throw in like this little fifteen-year-old kid who's supposed to like be relatable to the kids watching the show, and I was always annoyed with the little kid. I was like, I don't want to watch the little kid. I don't want to watch the cool robots and the dinosaurs. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> that that, um, char- that kind of character always annoyed me. So maybe that had a lot to do with it. Um, yeah, I, I had do. I had no I idea. Do. Go ahead. I had no. I, I had no idea that he had like so much hate behind the Wesley Crusher character. Honestly, oh, yeah. in, until the early two thousands, because I, you know, it's just. I never really, never really participated in a lot of like Star Trek online communities and stuff like that. It was always just something I did, and it was for me. And I didn't, you know, other than my dad, I didn't really talk about it with anybody. So I didn't kind of have outside influence on the character itself. So if there was any character that I didn't like, it was Worf's kid. Oh yeah, he was annoying too. I remember that. Yeah, it it was uh, very popular to dislike Wesley. Um, when I was a kid, I I didn't mind him because like I was I was I was young and he was like the kid character, so I guess I identified with that. Mm. But the um, I think the main reason the fans hated him is because you know he was sort of what you saw in the fan fiction before Next Generation came along. Which uh, I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but the uh, the whole Mary Sue archetype thing originated from Star Trek fan fiction, which, uh, yeah, um, there were fanzines, especially I think in the seventies where, when, when you had, when there was a drought of Star Trek content and people were writing, fans were writing, you know, about Star Trek, they were writing, uh, you know, not only like opinion pieces, but also were writing their own fan fiction and they all, you know, sent these newsletters out. A big, uh, a big thing that happened is like authors would self insert themselves and uh, and there would be one character who would come along and you know save the day whenever you know like when Kirk Kirk and Spock can't figure out what happened. Uh, there was it may have even been an actual character named Mary Sue. I cannot remember, but that that concept absolutely originated with Star Trek fanzines, and I think that was probably where a lot of the Wesley hate came from because he's essentially that Mary Sue concept, especially mainly in in the first season. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is because Gene Roddenberry sort of viewed him as uh, a representation of his son, um, Rod Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, that Wesley was definitely inspired by his son. And, you know, who doesn't want to write their son as like the best character they can imagine. <laughs> so he yeah, thought just, it was a good idea, but uh, yeah. a lot of the fan base was basically like uh, Shaka when the walls fell. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I went back in. So I watched some of it uh, when it aired, but I went and watched everything uh, and marathoned it about five or six years ago. And just for me personally, uh, besides what I already said, like I just I wasn't just a I wasn't a big fan of his acting job. I just wasn't didn't think he did that great of a job. I like what he's done uh, recently in later years, and it was nice to see him uh, do the Ready Room. Uh, show for Discovery where he does like the post show thing with and interviews the actors and stuff like that. Great job. It just I just didn't like his performance in the in the in the TNG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean that's valid. Um, I think he I think he did better stuff as the series went on. Um, it was really the first couple of seasons that I, I felt he was more insufferable. But again, I didn't mind him that much. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let's keep this moving along. We are going to go to a show that debuted in the middle of uh, the Next Generation's run, and that's Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it was, um, I guess, it, I'm sure it was really uncommon for any kind of like franchise to have multiple, uh, multiple shows on, much less at the same time. Uh, I always say that, you know, Star Trek pioneered the cinematic universe uh, mm-hmm. concept way before Marvel ever even dreamed about it <laughs> uh, and deep space nine was was unique in that it was another star trek show airing uh, while next generation was still on and it was also a, a very dark interpretation of the universe um not anywhere near as dark as some of the latest stuff that uh, star <laughs> no. trek has to offer but it it uh walked a line between roddenberryan ideals and the darkness of human nature that you see now and a lot of fans had problems with that. I've had problems with it in the past, and I've sort of made my peace with Deep Space Nine and, and grown to love it for what it is. Um, I also feel like it has it's it's more it has a more cohesive narrative compared to the episodic nature of Next Generation and, so, and such. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Um, you didn't really see that kind of thing on television back then, and I know the studio really fought against that. They didn't want they didn't want an episode or a um, a continuous arc uh, sort of storytelling. They they preferred the episodic monster of the week stuff because you know, especially back then, if if you missed an episode and the next episode you know hinged on you seeing the previous one, then you you would be lost and and there was no way to go back and watch it then you know once it yeah, was gone. you had to wait to those summer reruns man right mm-hmm. yeah and it was, a, it it was, was also money. a harder sell for syndication uh, yeah, yeah i was yeah. about to say yeah the money and mm-hmm. and you know they were right though that's a big reason why deep space nine wasn't popular then is because people would miss episodes at a time and then come in it's like at one point they're at war with the klingons and then not even i think it's even in the same season like Peace with the Klingons, and if you miss a few episodes, it's like what you have no idea what's <laughs> going on in this universe. Uh, I can tell totally, uh, before the era of binge watching. Yeah, uh, luckily I was able to binge watch this because when it came on, it was like right when I went away to college, and we didn't have cable in college, so kind of like for about three, four years, everything just got cut off. It was you know. Um, this was in the late nineties, so there was no streaming and didn't have hard drives big enough to download stuff and whatnot. But I think it was around 2005 ish when I finally moved into a house, had a DVR and was like, Oh, cool. There, there was some station was airing two episodes a day and man, I just, I went through the whole series, um, in probably about, you know, three or four months. That's how I knew. That's how I, that's how a lot of people I knew did voyager when um what was that channel uh g4 i guess was just kind of streamlining it mm-hmm. uh season you could watch like six hours of it of a day a day if you wanted to but yeah i totally get it with that kind of storytelling you kind of <laughs> kind of need it yeah i didn't watch it until uh Five or six years ago, um, my dad did not like the show, and he really did not prioritize me seeing it when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, so I, I came to it later. I, I had seen a few episodes as a kid, and honestly, I wasn't too enthralled by it then either, because it's like they're on a space station. You know, they're not 
going out and finding you know new life and new civilizations every week but uh binge watching this show i mean it's it's uh it's a competitor with next gen for my favorite yeah i tried watching this when it first came out uh it was just too i mean it's just too boring for me uh characters weren't that interesting to me um i always thought i i always thought the frangi were too over the top and it's just a kind of uh, race of characters i never really liked to to begin with for the most part uh, I do remember talking to this uh, Air Force officer uh, about six years ago when I was living in Las Vegas. She was a huge Trekkie. Like in her office, she had like all these Star Trek ships all over the place. And she was telling me um, that the series really kicks into high gear in later seasons, mm-hmm. uh, like maybe season three, season four, or something like that, and that I should try and maybe give it a try one day. And maybe I will because – it's just I at fr- the, I watched a few episodes and I just couldn't get through it, but from what everybody tells me, it's like no, I just you know get a few seasons into it and then it's like really it really takes off. Yeah, yeah it suffers that's... from the age-old Star Trek problem of having a shaky start. Yeah, it's most most people most people are like, hey, once you hit season three, that's the selling point for it. Once Dominion comes in, that's where it really catches on. And That's when Star Trek The Next Generation went off air, mm-hmm. I believe, was in season three of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So, I, I want to say that, that, you know, they were starting to able to do stuff, like they, they set the show at the same time. So you couldn't have the Dominion in the Dominion War without involving Enterprise yeah. until mm-hmm. you got rid of that you know like, well, let's just set that aside so we can focus on this show and the storytelling because yeah you had two going at the same time you know that's Voyager part of the reason yeah when starts they made with that, but at least they jump away so who cares that doesn't affect it that's that's part of the reason they made voyager take place in a totally different part of the galaxy so i know um i, I really i grew to love the characters in this quite a bit i mean i love cole meany um playing miles o'brien back on uh, the next generation so having him come as a recurring character on this worked out great. And then you get Worf brought over to the uh, series after a while. Um, uh, always Bashir was cool. Um, unlike Pendy there, I really did like the... Uh, um, Ferengi. Ferengi, yes. Like Nog and Quark and the whole bar scene. And that was... I always thought that was pretty funny. It added a little bit of humor. And, the, 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 the root beer scene. Oh, Do you know the root that. beer scene? Oh, you I should check not. out the root beer scene. I don't it's, remember it's that. With, it's with him and the Cardassian on the ship, the Taylor. What was his name? Garrick? Garrick. Garrick. You know, I just got to jump in real quick, but every time I hear you guys say Cardassian, I keep thinking of those stupid Kardashians that you see on no, no, no. TV. No, no, no. Boy. You've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. Every time you hear Kardashian, you're supposed to think of aliens. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Does that explain yes. their appearances? Does... Yes. Ever since that Thank show you. started. Thank you. Ever There's since a lot they, of makeup involved in both of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to hide their real appearance, man. Yeah. Ever since they got popular, I've thought of nothing but but Garrick and and uh, you know Goldacott. Uh, oh, Goldacott. Oh man. Well, what's funny I is I really Gold, more, yeah more, I like Goldacott too. Yeah, that that character was good. Especially uh, especially the episode near the I believe it was at the end of season two or beginning of season three where the the ship goes into Cardassian lockdown and he's like one of the few people that can override it since he was, you know, basically the chief officer on the ship. That was just a good episode. I liked it. It was just, it was just Gul Dukat and it's full hubris. Mm-hmm. He's a great actor and a well-written character, at least until the last season. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. Did any of you ever watch uh, the show Babylon 5? I haven't yet. Okay, no. so I just recently got all of it on DVD, and I'm about halfway through the first season. All right. It, it, it's, I find it funny because I think these two shows were like airing co- concurrently. You know, they let's were have at a, the time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like late 90s, early 2000s, or I think just late 90s. But yeah, I always found it funny. I, I really liked Babylon 5, and I thought that was one that took a while to get going, but it was like political intrigue on a space station with a number after it and with a bunch of different alien races. I, I These two shows are like linked in my head, even though I watched them like a decade apart, but they were right about that same time. You're not the only one to make that connection. There's a there's a fan theory that the, the showrunner for Babylon 5 approached the Star Trek people first and pitched this mm-hmm. idea, and they turned it down. Oh. And so so he went off and did that, and then they sort of took that idea and did their own thing. It's just a theory. It, it, it may not have any truth to it, but mm-hmm. it, it circumstantially looks that way. Yeah. I, I mean, never ever having heard that. I mean, I know they stick in my head that way. You know, completely different anyway mm-hmm. with you know, whole different universes, but it, it it's this very, very important space station that was kind of, you know, just every a lot of stuff revolved around it. Like Deep Space Nine becomes the whole forefront of a war for the entire yeah. Federation after being like, you know, way out in the corner. That seemed to happen a lot in pop culture around that time. Because remember, how they, they had like the two asteroid movies around the same time, and a, a, mm. a bunch of a bunch of uh, similar projects that kind of came out at the same time. Yeah, that's been a thing for a long time. Like mm-hmm. Gordy and Babe, uh, the ants and um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a Bugs Life, Bugs Life, Bugs Life. Yeah, <laughs> that happens a lot more than you you would think it it should. Yeah, and I, in in some in some cases, uh, from what I've read, it's usually like someone will have an idea, and someone else will just take the they won't take the whole thing, but they'll just take that idea, and then they'll both go run with it at the same time, and they'll come up with their own story, but based around the same idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you go back, am I the only one that thinks it's weird that the um, the Enterprise does not participate in the Dominion War hardly at all, at least that we can see? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you'd think you'd have a little bit more, you know, what else were they doing at that time? Can't you have a little uh, cameo? Yeah, I just imagine, like, while all of this is going on, Picard and Riker are just taking time off on Ryza or something. <laughs> the whole time. The ship's just in orbit of the planet, and it's like, you know, we're they're receiving all this news about, gosh, Bajor being, or not Bajor, um, Beta Zed being conquered. Beta Zed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> things are getting pretty bad. And it's like, where, where's the flagship, man? Well, it's like all those Justice League stories where it's like, oh, Superman's off on another planet on another mission, so he can't be here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Are we ready to go on the Voyager? Anybody got some last thoughts about Deep Space Nine? Who is oh. ready to talk about Neelix? Uh, let me let me let me stop you. Um, I just want to mention my <laughs> I just want to mention my favorite Deep Space Nine episode. Oh yeah. Um, oh, we didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, it's not important if you guys do yours. I just have to do mine. No, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, this is tied with the inner lot as being probably my favorite episode out of all of Star Trek, and it's called The Visitor. Um, it's the episode where uh, uh, Cisco, I think he's pulled in, is he pulled into the wormhole with the prophets? Uh, it, yes, whatever it is, yeah. he's like hopping around in time. Yes, and it's yeah, like, that's, uh, that's, that's basically like the first episode. Uh, no, no, no. No, it's, 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 in it's a, episode um, 75. Yeah, it's it's like... In oh, it's season. way later. Well, that kind yeah. that kind of happened in the pilot episode. 
So right, yeah. And this one, he's hopping around through time, and he's he visits. Um, like from his perspective, it's just a few seconds, but he he's like going years sometimes without without uh seeing Jake, which that's where that's where the point is. Like he always seems to be going to wherever Jake is. Like it doesn't matter if Jake is on the uh, the station or or somewhere else. He he appears where his son is. Gotcha. And it's just it's just like a. A heartbreaking episode it's it's it tugs on your heartstrings and the acting is so well done between the characters which personally i think uh avery brooks isn't always the best actor but when he when he does a good job he does a great job and in this episode he's really good um i uh, maybe it's just because i have a kid now so it like hits closer to home but i i cannot get through the end of this episode without getting like a little little little, uh misty-eyed it's okay. You can say full blown crying. We won't hold it to you. Well, I wouldn't say that, but it it it's definitely. I definitely do get like a little teary, and and you, not you much feel, makes me ever do that. You feel some emotion. Star Trek makes you feel emotion. Not completely dead inside. <laughs> uh, you guys yeah, if we're gonna talk about. Yeah, if we're gonna talk about favorites, mine would be a season three episode called "The House of Quark." Oh if yeah. If you don't, if if you don't remember this episode, this is one where. Uh, a Klingon dies in Quark's bar, and Quark takes the credit of killing the Klingon. The dead man's widow, I forget the name of the Klingon, but she basically abducts Quark back to the Klingon homeworld to marry him for, like, land, or not land rights, but clan rights. And it is just an entire episode of Quark being entirely out of his element, not knowing what to do, and I just really like it because it flips his character on the head because he's always he always tries to be, you know, the the suave, you know, the, the suave bartender that always has the know, is all, always knows what is going on around everyone and everything. But in this episode, he is the odd man out, and he is on the Klingon homeworld trying to deal with a situation that is not his problem because of a lie he told. <laughs> oh, how yeah, it, Ferengi. That one even has a follow-up episode, I think. I can't remember the name of it, though. I can't remember. It's not ringing a bell for me either. I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia about it. I don't know. I've got an episode list I've created that sorts them by arcs. I could look it up. Oh, Pendy, you haven't seen this one, have you? No. So I don't don't really have a favorite episode for this one because I I only tried it in the beginning and and fell off. So. Yeah, I don't. I, I, like I said, this is one I DVR'd probably in like three or four months in 2005 and haven't gone back to. So it's, hard to remember pulling one out from the entire crush um but yeah re- i was reading about the inner light um while you're talking about it and I-, I do remember that one that's really cool you get to see uh cisco's son's entire life kind of go by with him trying to save his dad mm-hmm. yeah it's it's uh super touching that mm-hmm. the follow-up episode to house of quark is called uh looking for parmok in all the wrong places <laughs> uh, the season five episode boy i do i'm i'm looking at it on the memory alpha wiki i do not remember this episode i'm gonna have to watch this later <laughs> i don't actually rem- off the top of my head i don't remember what happens in it either but i just read the episode synopsis for it and it is com- i am completely drawing a blank on this uh, means you gotta rewatch the whole series <laughs> you gotta get the full context you know what yeah that's that's not a bad idea <laughs> all right well we'll have you back on in a few months uh, in the meantime, <laughs> as you go on that voyage, we'll uh, take a different one. Uh, we'll move on to the next Star Trek series, Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, Voyager. 
Voyager began airing in the third season of Deep Space Nine. Like it was not soon after, or not long after uh, TNG went off the air. And it, as we mentioned before, it's it's in a completely different setting, like seventy five thousand light years away from everything we've already seen. And the whole concept is is based around the ship. Uh, it's going to take most of the crew's lifetime. Uh, so it's all about them finding a way to get back home um, through shortcuts. You know, it, it sort of sets up the idea that they're going to look for, you know, alternate ways to speed things up. But it, it really, it, it sort of fell into the trappings of being like a, a light version of, of Next Generation because um, the, the studio really wanted to recreate that success and Deep Space Nine wasn't doing it. Like I said, it, it, the ratings for Deep Space Nine were falling off halfway through the show, I think. And um, it, Deep Space Nine never tried to be like Next Gen anyway. So mm-hmm. they really wanted another show that filled that that niche. And at least in my opinion, Voyager doesn't quite meet that standard. It really should have tried to be its own thing. But you know, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's just what we got. Um, refresh, refresh my memory. How how did they get stranded in the Delta Quadrant? Uh, there was an alien called the Caretaker that pulled them across the distance because it was looking for, I think, maybe a genetic cure for a disease that the Okampa suffered from. Which no, 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 no. He was uh, he was looking for a uh, successor. He was trying to procreate so that right. he could con- continue to take care of the Okampa. I just started watching this series like a week ago, so it's fresh <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> that's, 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 We've got a season right. one expert here. <laughs> Right, um, and that that leads me into my own personal opinion on Voyager. Um, I loved the show as a kid, but honestly, so much of it to me is so forgettable. Um, it's not that it's a bad show; it's just so much of it is mediocre. Uh, and I have problems remembering details of some of the episodes. Like there were times where I was rewatching it a few years ago, and it's like I I don't think I've ever seen this episode before. Like I I could like I've seen the show like two or three times all the way through, and then still there are some episodes I come across. It's like I don't remember ever watching this, and it's like it just completely got ejected from my brain. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you know, you've, you've, you've got the point of formulation with the first series that you watched and then the following one. And this one you probably watched down the line. And while you enjoyed it, it wasn't anything memorable. So you come back to it. That's me with that's me with Voyager as well. Is It was the third series I watched after TNG and Deep Space Nine, having watched a majority of those as aired. So when I got to Voyager, I was... I was in my mid-teens to early, not early 20s, because I think Enterprise came out by by that point. But it was in my mid-teens, and I just couldn't really care about it, even though I enjoyed watching it. So going back and watching any of it later, I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. And, you know, it it had a good cast. Like, uh, all the characters, like, they're conceived very well, even if all of them didn't really develop uh, as the series progressed. Uh, the all the actors are good. Like I don't, I don't. No, think, yeah, I, I, I agree. Them, I don't think any of them had any failings that I can think of. I liked, uh, I liked, um, I liked Tuvok a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked, um, what do they call him? Patrick Woolsey. What, what was he? Was the emergency medical hologram, the EMH or oh, whatever. That's, uh, that's Robert uh, Bob, that's Robert Picardo. Yeah, Robert Picardo. <laughs> Patrick. Yeah, Woolsey. Um, that, that, the doctor. Someone else completely. Seven. The doctor and Seven are are absolutely the standout characters of this show. Mm-hmm. And like any any of the episodes that focused on the Doctor and his growth, uh, because it had a lot of morality issues with that. I mean, he was just a program. And, 
he grappled with it as he evolved to be more than a program. And then they got him his little, uh, the little, what is it? The remote device yeah, the- that he could actually beam down and go to places. Even I think around that time I was watching a lot of red dwarf. So there was overlap between that and Arnold Rimmer, the hologram. Mm. Any of you actually ever watch red dwarf? Nope. I never did, but I remember oh, I wow. friends that swore by that. Okay. Well, it's, uh, the, the hologram on that show, it was kind of a similar thing, but, uh, hologram of an actual person that used to be alive but he grapples constantly with being a hologram so kind of similar thing it was a big overlap for me so i liked the characters based on that mm-hmm. i yeah, caught really, the yeah. show at a weird time oh, sorry i was gonna say i caught this show at a really weird time because again i was like had that like four or five year stretch where i didn't have access to cable tv really just didn't watch it and then and that was right as deep space uh, Deep Space Nine was going on and the beginning of Voyager. So by the time like I finally got a job and I had my apartment and here I was at a college and I could afford to get cable and cable was actually available, um, not in the dorm rooms anymore. I think it was like the last two seasons of Voyager and I hadn't watched it at all. So I was like, uh, I don't really know what's going on here. So I'd watch the reruns I'd ke- and I'd not catch every single one of them because that was adult life, but I'd catch some of the reruns at like six or seven o'clock on the local UPN network. And then at the same time, be watching like season six and season seven going on. So like hmm. this whole show was just jumbled up to me. And I always thought it weird that they never really like they never made big chunks of progress. They were always looking for like that slip back home, but they never even got out of the Delta Quadrant, I don't think, until the final episode. Now, um, the, because of the way it was set up, it's like it's supposed to take them, what, 75 years mm-hmm. to get home? At least. It's like, well, yeah, and the show goes on for seven, so yeah, that's a tiny fraction of the distance they have to cover. Mm-hmm. But you think they, it, you know, even like they would find a wormhole or something in an episode and like, oh, hey, guess what? We just got like 10% back. Now it's 65 yeah. years or something like that. They never really did that. Man, so they do that for, for seven seasons? <laughs> so I've, watched, <laughs> yeah. I've watched 13 episodes and they've already had like maybe three or four where it's like, oh, this might be something. It's a wormhole, but oh, oops, this is actually a wormhole back to the past. We oh, can't that was a this. good one. It was that a good one, but yeah, that they, the they, good use that, they use that convention a lot. Like the, or the, like the one uh, recent one I saw where they went to a planet that was all about uh, pleasure and they had some kind of contraption that could fold space, and that didn't work out either. But they've been running into that a lot. <laughs> that was another good Wait. one. Also, that that contraption you're talking about was uh, was name dropped in Star Trek Picard recently. Oh, um, wait till they find Amelia Earhart. Oh, yeah. Thirty <laughs> sevens. The worst episode of Voyager has to be Threshold. That's the the one where Tom Paris breaks the warp tin barrier, and then for some reason he turns into a lizard, and then Captain what? Janeway turns into a lizard, and then yeah, they have yep. lizard babies. Wow! You know and how they leave the lizard babies? I, I I had forgotten about that episode. <laughs> well, the the lizard is her spirit animal. They they established that in season one. <laughs> oh, Chakotay. Yeah. If you guys it's ever funny. get a chance, you should go back and watch the uh, the original Voyager pilot with the with the different with the completely different oh, yeah. actress that did uh, oh, Janeway. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. She, you she might walked be able to find out. It on YouTube. She walked out after that. Like mm-hmm. she quit day one. Yeah, she mm-hmm. uh, she was a stage actress and oh. she did not. I guess she didn't. Um, she wasn't comfortable with just the 
the stress and pressure of being on on television of a tele or a tv program uh, yeah they a were TV there set. sometimes 12 hours a day right yeah uh, I, I mean probably wasn't long. That, it wasn't basically that that was uh um stupid i can't remember his name but, but the guy who plays john luke picard that was his background before he did star trek too right yeah yeah, yeah he was mm-hmm. a, he was a theater actor shakespearean and, and all that mm-hmm. yep. so it worked then once it didn't work twice no <laughs> and then there was that uh it was a character uh kess i i think the the one who yeah. who left after about three seasons i think and I guess I was reading about it, and uh, at first they were saying like, "Oh well, the the writers didn't know where to take the character, so we just kind of dropped, you know, dropped her." And then I I read from uh, the person who plays uh, the captain, her book a book that she wrote. She said, "Well, that's actually not what happened. The character was just, I remember the actress was just really hard to work with, and you know, we just got to a point where enough was enough, and we had to drop her." And I also read after that recently she's 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 a mess. She got like a rest Oh for yeah! Like, oh for, yeah! Like, kid abusing her kids or flashing people or all sorts of weird crap. So yeah, it's too bad. There, there are conflicting stories about why she left. Like, there's another one saying that they were planning on firing somebody that season anyway, and it was going to be, um, oh, what's his name? Plays Harry Kim. Oh, okay. Uh, I know you're uh, Yeah, I, I forget his. I forget the actor's name. That's crazy. But uh, it was. It was. There, there, it's just a rumor. Again, another rumor. Uh, that it was going to be him, but then coincidentally, he was rated like one of the sexiest men in Forbes, and so like, oh no, we got to keep <laughs> this guy. I, I'm serious. I'm serious. I'm not joking. Like it was. It's. Uh, I, I think he actually was in in the magazine and rated that. Uh, n- probably not number one, but uh, he was on the list, and so th- they shifted the their decision to to Jennifer Leon, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if that's true or not. Interesting. Yeah, for for me, uh, like I said, I've only just started watching this show. I've watched the first thirteen episodes so far. I, I like it. I do actually like it a lot so far. I'm going to continue because um, my I was doing a CBS All Access uh, free access or free trial, which is going to run out here in about half a month. But it's it's on Netflix, so I can watch it that way because I have it. But I like I like a lot of the characters. Um, you guys had mentioned how much you like the Doctor character. He's also probably my favorite right now. I love all the storylines with him. I just saw the episode where he got out of the med bay for the first time, and they and he went to the holodeck where they did the uh, the story. Oh, what was it called? Um, Beowulf. They did Beowulf, and and there was a whole thing with an alien messing up with the holodeck, and and he basically got to do his first kind of inside the ship away mission, and that was really interesting, and I, I like his character. And then Tuvok, the the Vulcan guy who's head of security, like at first I didn't like him because he was just like very monotone and like, okay, we need to do this, oh, okay, we need to do that. But they they've started to I've noticed they've started to build his character and he's growing on me and I, I like his character I'm starting to like his character too. Yeah, Tuvok's good. Uh, Tim Russ is a good actor. Mm. Uh, like I said, all the all the actors are great. The characters are well conceived. It's just I feel like most of them they didn't develop. Even uh, not to spoil. I don't. I don't know. I don't want to spoil too much for you. But oh, you guys. No, you guys can spoil the the heck out of all of this. It's fine. I don't. I don't care. Okay, well. Even even uh, Tom and Bellana, who the like the only romance on the show, uh, you know that 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 was a little bit of development, and that was sort of something that fans liked, but it, it didn't even come close to what they did with the Doctor and Seven of Nine. Mm. Oh yeah, and I'm looking I'm looking forward to that because I haven't gotten that far because Seven of Nine doesn't come in until what season four or something. 
So yeah, it's. Uh, is it... Are you ready? Are you ready I've, for I've seen, seven or nine? Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen. Well, obviously, you know, I've I've seen Picard, so I've seen her in that. So I like her in that. So I'll, I'm looking forward to seeing her in Voyager. And I know I'm, oh, a, I see why she's a totally a different favorite. character. Oh, okay. I guess we'll talk about that too. <laughs> well, same character, entirely different portrayal. Yeah, <laughs> but um, did any of you guys uh, see um, Robert Picardo in the Stargate series? Mm-mm. Haven't seen that. Let yet. me tell you, I could have an entire podcast about Stargate. I <laughs> love Stargate. I've only seen the movie. Oh, I think he comes about mainly in the Atlantis episodes. Um, yes. The Atlantis yes. series. Yeah. It's funny because, man, he, he I mean, I wouldn't say he plays the same character, but he's way more of a hard ass because he's like yep. a committee director in in Stargate. So he is a very different character than the medical doctor because the medical doctor is more of a he, it's a comedic introspection on the morality of what it is to be human kind of much like data but not mm-hmm. quite yeah it's it's strange how they took the what is essentially just the data concept and did something totally different with it yeah all did right are we it? about done or was gonna say yeah. go ahead well if we got we have favorite episodes to do oh all right yeah i didn't I, I don't really have one except for the end i love when they triumphantly make their voyage home sorry to ruin that for you pendy oh my god yeah. no let's, let's go <laughs> They they come out like looking like it, the ship gets like totally outfitted as a Borg killing like super awesome thing. Yeah, but I have opinions on that too. It's like <laughs> that's literally the last ten seconds of the show is them making it back, and it's like you don't get to see anything like no. you know any reunions or or, or nothing. It's it's kind of all right. We're done. <laughs> oh yeah, like Janeway and uh, her uh, husband and stuff like that. Yeah, what happened there? Uh, well, they might have mentioned that earlier on because they did establish communications with her. Yeah, but you don't get to see any of the uh, reunions or, or any anything really. We don't get the the five or six different endings like in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, no. so uh, Yangus. Oh, we still got favorite episodes. All right, anybody else with a favorite episode? <laughs> I liked Message in a Bottle a lot. Is that the uh, the one where? The wormhole back in time. So that's the it... one where that's the one where the Voyager finds an alien communications network, and they use it to take to send the Doctor to a Federation starship on the Alpha Quadrant. Oh. And they, he figures out it's been taken over by the Romulans. Yeah, that's that's the Andy Dick episode. I do not remember him being in that episode. That is that not the one where <laughs> Andy Dick, where Andy Andy Dick plays a hologram as well. I, uh, I, you sure. know what? I, I, I don't, I won't doubt it. I just don't remember it. I just remember that that story bit of it. But um, you know, <laughs> Star Trek's fun. always Star Trek's always full of uh, cameos like that. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's the one. I just looked it up. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does he, does no, he play the usual? One. Does he play the usual Andy Dick character? Where he's kind of off the wall, kind of kind of deal. Yeah. Nice. But he's a hologram. <laughs> Uh, my favorite's Blink of an Eye. It's um, at least I think that's the name of it. There's a TOS episode called Blink of, Blink of an Eye. I always get the two confused. Uh, but the one I'm talking about, it's um, they encounter a planet that is experiences time at a different rate than they do. So when Voyager shows up in orbit of the planet, it's uh, the people living on it are living like in the Stone Age, and they see the ship. 
um, they see the ship in the sky and, and they sort of like start wondering what it is. And then by the time the people or by the time the crew of Voyager start trying to uh, send people down, like it's already like in the equivalent of the 50s on the planet. And like they managed to send the doctor down at one point because he's the only one that can beam down for some reason. And he ends up living like 20 or 30 years within five minutes, I think. Something like that. But Classic uh, time dilation. Yeah, it, it's it's just a great episode, and it shows the evolution of the species and like how they would regard uh, a ship showing up in their orbit. Like, you know, they've always wondered what it is as a species, and it it's such a good concept that the Orville sort of rewrote this story in an episode called Mad Idolatry. Is that the Actually, one where the planet would go between universes and every time it would pass through, like? hundreds or thousands of years would pass yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, that was I a good one think, too i think that orville kind of maybe did it better but I, it's kind of hard to say that when voyager created the concept <laughs> they made the, the so you we, we could say that they made the contract concept a touch more interesting yeah yeah because they took it full to fully to the end where like uh the alien species have sort of ascended and it's like they they tell the crew of the Orville like you know we no longer worship you as gods but you know you've had such an impact on our our culture. It, I think they did a really good job of that. That's something Voyager should have considered taking it to that level. Yeah, that was pretty cool. All right, so Yangus, you had a couple things. You had some points you wanted to bring up here about this time. Oh yeah. So first off, going back a bit, uh, when Pendy had brought up uh, the fan that he met that had all of like the spaceships and everything from Star Trek, uh, I actually had a teacher in high school who was a really big Star Trek fan, particularly of the original series, because I want to say he was kind of like you, Matt, uh, where he watched the series a lot through reruns. Mm -hmm. And um, when growing up, because he was was one of my English teachers, and I think he was about that age, too, where he would have been young enough where there were a lot of reruns of the original Star Trek and, like, uh, Next Generation was coming on and everything like that. Uh, Anyway, he had, and I'm not kidding, he had a full-size cardboard cutout of Captain Kirk sitting in his classroom in the back. <laughs> and what he would do is, because he was, and funny enough, he lived over in Riverside, Iowa as well, which, if you don't huh. know, that's supposed to be like the birthplace of Captain Kirk. Um, whenever we would do like student drills or like um, safety drills, like, you know, if there's somebody who came into the school who, you know, had a gun or something like that, or was threatening school, he would go and grab that Captain Kirk cutout if you were in his room and he'd put it in front of the door because, and again, this is real. He said that Captain Kirk would scare off any of the intruders because they'd be intimidated <laughs> by him. <laughs> Uh, that's good. Yeah, he was a he was a nut, but he was a funny teacher. <laughs> but um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, and um, it's because of one of the people who's on the show, uh, that Captain Janeway lady. It actually brings up something that I was going to share with all of you guys. Uh, normally, this is something that's only done on the main episodes of Slime Time, but I figure since we're doing a Star Trek episode, we should do something a little Star Trek related to we're talking about so we're going to do a surprise round of merry thwack puff puff boys oh boy <laughs> it should be popping up in the chat right now uh, oh that's perfect i oh was waiting God. for it <laughs> <laughs> all right 
So for our audience at home, uh, we'll try and get this picture put into uh, the YouTube version uh, so you can see it on there. But for those of you who are just listening to audio, our choices tonight for Mary Thwack Puff Puff are Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, and Captain Janeway. So who wants to be the first victim to choose? <laughs> I, I say, since nobody's picked him, I'm going to start with Aust. You first. <laughs> this is so difficult, though. Okay. <laughs> I cannot kill Captain Picard. No thwacking. Uh, so, uh, okay, I marry Picard. I thwack Janeway, and I get a puff puff from Captain Kirk. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh good. I thought you were gonna steal my. Uh, you were gonna steal my order <laughs> because I, I I was as you were doing that. I was like, okay, okay, I'll marry Picard. You know what? Some great conversations we'll have throughout the years. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, Kirk's a little too showy. Kirk's got to go. Thwack <laughs> Kirk. Janeway, you're a little bit stoic, but puff, puff away. <laughs> Hold on, though. Are we, we're talking about, uh, Prime Universe Kirk, right? Not, not Kelvin versus Kirk? Uh, no, we're, we're going, we're going Prime. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yangus put, uh, Yangus put, put, put Prime the, there. Yeah, he did. Pendy, Burian, what are you going to do? Um, uh, I'll go first, Pendy. Um, okay. I'm going to have to say, gosh... I really like the stoic nature of Janeway, so I think I might actually have to choose to marry Janeway. Picard would know a very, very good time, so I think I would get a puff puff from him. Have you ever seen him in his vacation wear? <laughs> it is exquisite. Uh, and then I would have to thwack Kirk. He's a little too old school for me. Yeah, I guess nope. I guess uh, uh, with, with Kirk, I, I would say Kirk would would uh, he seems to be the the legend of uh, one night stands in the Star Trek universe? So I'll go puff puff with him uh, for just a, a good time, and then for uh, Mary, you know, I'm actually I'm actually going to marry Janeway because she seems to be a little adventurous. I, I'd go with her, and then uh, that means I have to. Whack the card, which I don't want to do, but yeah, I'll have to whack the card as it pains me to do. It, it, you can always claim the prime directive. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a totally uh, unexpected uh, event there. <laughs> Surprise! Thanks. <laughs> oh, you wild and crazy guys from Iowa. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to give um, a quick. Shout out to Woodis for helping put that picture together. Uh, I had the idea to make that, but I didn't have the uh, just the standard like font or layout for the Mary Thwack Puff Puff thing. So he, luckily he had made up a little mock-up of his own and helped me put that together. So big shout out to him for helping me with that nice. and keeping it a secret too. <laughs> oh yeah, I had no clue that was coming. I was like, uh, what are you going on about? Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think where the best point could be to throw that in, but it's like, wait a minute. Janeway's in Voyager. We'll do it there. We'll do it. <laughs> that, that was the point. Per perfect. Perfect. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right. Well, if we had to, uh, if we had to add somebody else that would definitely be a marriage candidate for me, um, I think we'll find them in the next episode or the next series of Star Trek. Um, go back in time to Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, um, Enterprise took place 100 years before the original series, and I guess it was just the age of prequels back then. 
was it first aired uh i think in 2001 uh i'd have to look but yeah it's about that time it's about that time frame because yeah. i remember yeah. it ended in 2004 yeah it, it aired, only had a few uh, seasons first first episode aired september of 2001 um it uh it only lasted four seasons because um the uh the biggest reason was that by this point paramount had found that founded their own network and that was the thing about all the previous star trek shows is most of those were automatically put into syndication uh, aside from the original series uh starting next generation and on those shows were not on a network they were just made for syndication uh but enterprise and I, and I think some of voyager were aired on upn which was uh paramount's network and yeah, I was uh, ask what channel right. was on. it was one of one of the upstarts yeah right yeah uh i can't remember what year upn actually launched but voyager was like their big show and, and then enterprise was uh, by the time enterprise came around a lot of the heads at paramount had changed and it's always quoted within the people who were working on star trek at the time that the people in charge at this point didn't really get star trek they didn't understand it and uh they by around season three of enterprise they were really trying to like interfere i guess uh, for lack of a better term i think one story that brandon braga said is that they wanted a, a different boy band on the show every week <laughs> uh it, it just they totally didn't get what the theme of of this kind of science fiction series was and by the time season four rolled around uh they had already can prepared it for cancellation and ironically there was no studio meddling at this point because they had written it off so honestly some of the best written star trek episodes ever were delivered in the season four of enterprise so i'll, I'll state my unpopular opinion here i absolutely love the opening song i loved that it, they went completely different and uh it's the the song. Man. yep <laughs> that, that i really like that it, wasn't that in the Robin Williams movie? With the, yeah, I think so. Yeah, but he had the red Stewart, nose. Uh, um, Patch Adams. Was, uh, Pat, yeah, yeah. yeah Rod the Rod Stewart, Stewart view. It, yeah. They did. Yeah, it was, and they got somebody else to do it for you know, pay a much smaller licensing fee. I'm sure. Um, I, I like the opening theme too. Uh, I get why it flopped because it was really different, and a lot of people thought, "Why is there Christian rock on my Star Trek series?" Uh, which is <laughs> what it sounds like. Uh, I, I kind of liked it, and I thought it was more or less fitting. They wanted to use uh, the U2 song, uh, Be It's a Beautiful Day or, or Beautiful Day. Oh, yeah. yeah, they wanted to use that. And there's even like a fan mock-up you can find on YouTube where they've thrown that that track over the opening cut or the opening scenes. And it, it doesn't really fit the tempo of how they edited the scene for the, the original opening, but you can sort of see what that made a little bit more sense. But Faith of the Heart does make sense within the context of the show, I think. Yeah, I uh, so I've only watched the first two episodes uh, the other day. And when I saw the first episode, which I think was like an hour and a half, it was like a, a bigger uh, <clears throat> bigger story. Uh, when I first saw it, for, and I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. Like, this makes sense for the first episode. And um, regardless of the song, the imagery made a lot of sense. And I thought that was really good. See the different enterprises real enterprises throughout the years and, and then they move into like the the science fiction ones and they show the the ship which the first ship that had warp capability from them from one of the star trek movies and stuff like that and that was really good and they even brought him on that character on uh one of the episodes too when they're first launching he does a little speech and uh but yeah it's but then they 
continued and i saw they continued to use the song for the later episodes and like uh <laughs> i'm just yeah it's just it's, the song doesn't click with me that that well the imagery they use is great uh i just don't just not a big fan of the song it just doesn't uh, appeal to me personally yeah and and the song honestly as, as crazy as it sounds like from everything i've read that really killed the show for a lot of people in it mm. and it it doesn't feel like it should make that big of an impact but it, it really did turn the audiences away at least at initially it is so different for star trek like the show itself i would say is is not a big departure from a a normal star trek show if if there's if such a if there's such a thing but like this but yeah the opening uh song is is very different from what they had done in the past so i guess i could see that mm-hmm. yeah, i actually uh, remember oh before you go on since we're talking songs um one of the songs that really stuck with me the uh it was by the group the calling uh wherever you will go was used in a lot of the like someone's playing dragon quest <laughs> jesus <laughs> all right yangus getting us back on brand there um <laughs> R- wrong podcast but i like the, i like i like the energy uh but the song wherever you will go by the calling was like used in the commercials for it like um it, it was just they started even before the show came out with like trying to get it hyped up with, like you said, the boy band of the week or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think there might have even been a, a commercial with a Creed song playing along along the back of it. It's like that, <laughs> your marketing team really needs to get on this. <laughs> but this was actually um, this is the first one I watched weekly. I missed all the all the other ones as they were on. I actually did I actually did start watching Voyager like right at the end. But the biggest problem with Enterprise is being able to get the show because UPN, you know, back in the day, kids, we had these things called antenna that we put on our television. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's how you watch stuff and if you didn't have a good signal <laughs> You weren't really watching the show. You were watching Snow. Uh, so, like, I couldn't even get this show at my dad's house. I could only watch it on cable at, at my mom's. So I didn't get to see every week. But it, it was, it's the underdog show. It's its often ranked as my favorite. It's, it's, it changed, that, that role changes so much, it's hard for me to say. But it's, uh, it's definitely worth giving a shot for people who, like, buy into the negativity about it. I like it. I like it so far. Like I said, I've only seen the first two, and I like the concept. It's very, very fun to see such a ancient, uh, for, the, for that Star Trek universe, such an ancient ship uh, going off on its first journey and the, the start of, almost the start of Starfleet and, you know, all the little things that they have to encounter. They don't have all the technology that they rely on in the, in the future shows. And they have to struggle with that. And they're often outclassed by anything that they run into. And they have to, it's, it's kind of like how sometimes like when you watch James Bond movies, like when he doesn't have his gadgets and he has to like think of something without all his gadgets, sometimes the the best stuff can come out of that. Yeah. And they, Mm -hmm. they should have leaned on that more. Like they, they really should have leaned into that type of storytelling, but the studio really wanted futuristic stuff in Star Trek, and yeah. and that's part of the reason they didn't commit totally with that. It's hard to strike that balance between like, okay, we need more futuristic than this, but less than that. <laughs> you know, is there a medium? Like, I, I loved how like they had the transporter, 
but it was kind of like brand new. And they're like, isn't that just for cargo? You don't put living stuff in that. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And they had I love the uh, the person that you never saw that made all their food. Chef. They would always <laughs> talk about chef. Oh, chef did a good job today. Actually, they didn't you have get matter- to see him. Oh, do you? In the finale. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's perfect. Oh, yeah. But yeah, they didn't have the universal translator. So you had the um, the Asian girl that was really good at translating languages and everything. So, yeah, it was that balance between, OK, we're out here in space, but holy shit, like we're the first ones out here. And there's a lot of crap out here that we're not ready to deal with. Yeah, yeah, I love the idea that the communications officer in this era is very important because mm-hmm. they don't have a universal translator. And communicating with alien species is critical. And it's like by TOS, you know, they they still had a communications officer mainly just to, to channel messages to different locations. And then by next generation, they had the security officer taking all the messages. Like they didn't even mm-hmm. need a dedicated department. But in, in Enterprise in that time, it's. I mean, that's as crucial a role as, like, chief science officer. Yeah, and they made so much drama with it because the character wasn't prepared to even uh, do those kind of missions to to begin with. That's a big part of her uh, Mm -hmm. character growth in the beginning, at least so far, because she's not – she's, like, really struggling to deal with all this, you know, going out in space and and, uh, away missions and – Stuff like that. It's like she's a normal person. I mean, she she's the best linguist there is, but that doesn't mean she like wants to go into space. I mean, right. who, who wants to go, you know, meet strange alien creatures that can kill you? <laughs> yeah, I, I love some of the little things they did. Like they were always bumping their heads, like in the bulkheads. Mm. Like the, the ship wasn't really built for you know like, creature comfort. You look at the future. Yeah, you look at the other episodes and there's issues. Yeah, you get to see some of the uh, the bunks in this series um, where the crew live down farther below. You get to see a little bit of the lower deck living conditions. They're in bunk beds down there. Yeah, it's like going through like a World War II uh, battleship or something like that and, and kind of seeing how it was back then kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what they, they kind of like they almost modeled after like here we are on a naval vessel, but up in space, like built to do the job, not to, you know, be your permanent home nicely for the next few years. And the introduction of a lot of uh, things that become a staple in, in Star Trek is nice, too, where like they they bring out the, the first uh, phaser weapons and stuff like that. And I just watched it where it's like they he tried the captain tries it and uh, has it on stun. It's like, oh, I guess the stun setting works and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and uh the they really changed things up in season three and four. Like I've said before, season four is just some of my favorite stuff that's ever been done in Star Trek. I know this was I, I watched all this as it happened. I remember all four seasons. Um, the th- I think it was the third one with the Zindi plot. Um, that was my favorite. I loved how it opened with uh, just that probe, like just cutting a big swath out of the out of Earth. Um, I think it was because it hit Florida. That was a. <laughs> that one was like, ooh, yeah. I mean, I was like, oh my gosh, I would have been zapped yeah. in Orlando. Um, <laughs> Florida man zapped. <laughs> yep, Florida man zapped by uh, a beam weapon created by time traveling people in the Zindi, whatever. But yeah, I liked how they got kind of that whole season arc. It was just, you know, they were the only Earth ship and they were. They needed to save humanity like it, it was a big it was not just exploration, but it was, you know, they they had that gigantic season arc that was, you know, we got to do something too. like there is a mission. 
Yeah, uh, I love the Zindi arc. Um, I think uh, I think the reason I like season four so much is because it strikes a perfect balance between that kind of long arc storytelling and the episodic content. Because like yeah, true. There there are some people who don't like the Zindi the Zindi story, and if you don't, you don't like that entire season because that's that's that, the majority that's of that season. Yeah. yeah. So I think it works better when they do it in smaller bursts. But yeah, I, I agree personally that that whole season is epic and it's. It's just, I mean, it's just really good writing. It's hard to dispute that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, we got a favorite characters or favorite episodes? Trip and Paul. Oh, they're, Trip. They're both great characters. See, which I'm. One, which one was Trip? Trip is the Trip is the uh, Southern guy that uh, runs the engineering. Oh, the uh, chief engineer. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yeah, chief engineer. I, I wish, I wish I would have seen this show earlier in life. I would be Trip. Like that would be my name. That's what I would tell people to call me. <laughs> because I'm I'm a third as well, and I'm like, oh my god, I've only heard of people called Trey, and I'm like, I don't want to be a Trey. I'll just be Matt. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> but my god, if I had heard this when I was like ten, by the time I was in high school, I'd have been Trip. I would have introduced every to myself as everybody's. I'm Trip. Hi. Uh, favorite episode? I think the uh, the Mirror Universe two parter is probably mine, and and. I know, like, everybody says the Mirror Universe has been done way too much, and I agree, but I love I love how over the top it is, which that's what the Mirror Universe is supposed to be, and I mm-hmm. love the I love the sets. I love the old classic TOS stuff, how they, they, I mean, they did that, they did such a good job of recreating the classic set, and I love how that, that two-parter ties into um, the, uh, which episode is it? It ties into, uh, one of the TOS episodes where the the defiant is is um the, is it the Tholian web? I think it might be the Tholian web. I'd have to look that up. But uh, anyway, a, sh- a ship from the TOS era is lost in this episode in in the defiant or in the, the whatever episode I'm thinking of in in TOS. It's lost, and mm-hmm. what happens is it goes it goes. Not only does it go back in time, but it passes over to the mirror universe, and that ship is captured by the the Empire, the Terran Empire, in this in this two parter, and it gives them like a huge tech boat boost. And uh, actually, th- that's followed up on in Discovery that that the the ship is. I think we actually see it in an episode. I can't remember. I've only seen Discovery once. So when does when does the the Terran Empire get established? Uh, um, you you uh, it takes place in a alternate universe, right? Um, I don't think we actually know for certain. A lot of people have theorized that it, the mirror universe takes place in a reality where the Roman Empire never fail. Oh no, no, no! I mean, like, what show does do they establish the? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. The Terran Empire. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking you were speaking in universe. I got, I got uh, too literal. Much... I wasn't. I got too literal. Literal. Sorry. That's how much <laughs> of a nerd I am. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it, it was established in the TOS episode Mirror Mirror, which oh. I think it's season two, maybe season. Yeah, it three, goes all know. the way back. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah, that. I've seen I've seen all the original series, but I had, I had forgotten that they established it that far back. So that's I thought like Discovery had started that whole thing, but obviously not. So that's cool cool to find nope. out. Nope, TOS did it, and then Deep Space Nine had like thirteen Mirror Universe episodes. I don't know the number, mm. but it's a lot. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, and then Enterprise did these two. Now I'll have to go back and watch that Mirror Mirror episode again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I love so this. The episode, I... the episode I was thinking of is the Thulian Web. That's what 
That's what okay. kicks off the whole thing. I will have to say, I really enjoyed Scott Bakula being cost, cast for this role oh, because yeah. Quantum Leap was like one of my favorite shows growing up. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm so upset that we didn't get to see more of him in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a, he's a really good captain. I, I like, really like his character so far. I guess I would say he's so far he's my favorite character in in uh, Enterprise, actually. Well, and if you think about it, and and this is sort of alluded to in some of the Enterprise novels. I mean, he is the archetype for the Roddenberryan leader. Like he's Star Trek is based off of an old series of novels called Horatio Hornblower, and each captain has sort of tried to to match that the role of Horatio of uh, Captain Horatio uh, because that's just what the the captain character was modeled after in TOS. Well, I think they either consciously or subconsciously they really with, with the with the um, Captain Archer character they really tried to like establish that uh, because he seems to be like the perfect captain figure at least in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something they they hit home in the novels that deal with like the Romulan War and stuff. All right, are we ready to uh, take a warp speed ahead into the uh, future of Star Trek? I, I don't guess. know if I'm ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, Austin, what are we going to talk about next? Okay, so Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, first aired in 2017. It's the first time Let's we've go. seen... <laughs> it's the first <laughs> time we've seen uh star trek on tv in what is it 12 years yeah because enterprise feels, was canceled yeah. it feels like so much longer to be it honest does. it does um, it, it feels like a lifetime from the end of enterprise to when but just because of the 90s 90s was basically the golden age of star trek with yeah so you have like three three series 18, that intertwined with each other's yep you had 18 straight years because you had the next generation for seven then you had Voyager for seven, and then Enterprise for four right after that, and Deep Space Nine intersected that. But yeah, you had 18 straight years of content. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and probably a, a lot of the reason, like, a lot of people missed Enterprise. So that may be part of the reason some people feel like it's even longer. But that, that would be me because I did not watch any of Enterprise. So the last that I saw of Voyager was late 90s early 2000s uh when yeah. it finished yeah. airing yeah enterprise was canceled in 2004 so that's about 12 years 12 13 years when uh discovery finally aired um it's it's got a heavier focus it's got a much much heavier focus on action and uh sort of the spectacle of visual effects and um it's pretty apparent that a lot of the things that were sort of established in the J.J. Abrams movies sort of carried over into Discovery and then on into Picard. Yeah, it's definitely a different tone, much, much different. And I mean, they set this show up as a completely different show. You're, It's a story of one character and really focuses on that one character more than the story of a ship and a cast. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, that was... I was hesitant when they started talking about that because Star Trek has always been an ensemble. And I thought, well, you know, it's close-minded of me to say that they can't. Eddie and Picard have just reaffirmed that idea in my mind that Star Trek does best as an ensemble. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say I've enjoyed this series. I I have for what it is. Um, I... What stinks is I really am not a huge fan of the Michael Burnham character. 
and it kind of stinks that you know the series is all about her um i loved the season two when we get pike as a captain i loved uh episode two i think Austin, you and i were talking about at one point we were like really loving episode two of season three was like our favorite and it didn't involve her at all <laughs> yeah it was this it was the story of the crew and the ship and what was going on with them at the beginning of the season and it just you know I mean, Michael's okay, but it, it just, there's way too much Michael. And it, my God, everything revolves around her. Like, finding out the reason for, um, I know, Pendy, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but you don't like the reason for something in season three. Like, I don't really like the reason for the red, the angel in season two. Oh. Like, what the hell, really? Like, does it all have to be about her? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And the answer is okay. yes. I mean, yep. And you know, I I don't I've I've been I've uh, held the opinion that I don't like the Michael Burnham character either. But if I'm to think about this objectively, it's probably not any failing of that character. It's just that maybe if we focused on any of these characters, primarily, I would feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Because when you have this character as the focus, the flaws have much more time to shine through. And they focus on the flaws. A whole bunch. I mean, the whole series starts with her basically starting the Klingon Federation War. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I'm just going to say it right here. Fuck the art direction that they went with the Klingons. Kind of thought they were going somewhere with it, and they didn't. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. It's awful. Yeah, it's It's it's, awful. Yeah. It's, see, I'm probably the one that that likes, I'm guessing I'm the person in this room that likes the show the most, but even I'm like, what, what, I don't understand what they were doing with that. And, and well, even in the J.J. The Abrams movies, the Klingons look weird there, too. I don't know why they, they keep trying to, to change it. I, I, don't get, I don't get that. And Discovery, I, I really do think the only reason they did that is because of the, um, the whole Voke and, and uh, Ash Tyler twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, they needed makeup heavy enough to hide the actor so that when you find out that Oh, uh, maybe cling on that it's actually a twist. That might, that might. Okay, so that might have something to do with it. Yeah, I just did the look. It just doesn't. I, I don't think that's a good reason to jettison like twenty years of established visual canon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved what they talked about. Like, Worf has that one throwaway line. It is it one of the movies or something, uh, or is it in the Deep Space, Space Nine where uh, they trials they, and they, tribulation? Yep, where they ask about why the um they don't look the same back in the original series and he's like yeah you know we don't talk about that or something yeah and that's that's something we forgot to mention enterprise uh, established why yes there are smooth heads and and really and crinkle heads yeah it established in the fourth yep. season a, a scientific reason why and now discovery seems to take absolutely zero account of that like <laughs> now like how did how did they get this way Yep, they did. They decided to not go with what they did in Enterprise and keep them smooth in the original series. And yeah, because this is only set what five years before, ten years before um, yeah. the original. Yeah, yeah, it's ten years before TOS. And yep, some somehow the ships look you know better than they did a hundred years <laughs> after TOS. <laughs> I, I mean, that I almost got to give it to him because, you know, that's visual effects being 40 years later and 20 years and 30 years down the road. Yeah, but uh, and, and to, to go back to Star Wars, though, like when when uh, 
the last episode three, they really tried to phase over the visuals of some of the ships and the uni- like the, the troopers' uniforms and stuff to look mm-hmm. the way they did in in the original episode four. You know the original Star Wars. And it's like, you can do that. You can still like have visual continuity between something that's old and something that's new. If you're going to do a prequel, that's yeah, it's, really my I, biggest problem. I can see that. It, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, Ooh, yeah, I can, I can, I'll, I'll, and I'll bring up Star Wars again. <laughs> Cause it's, it's kind of that problem with the prequels where like, you've got all the, the Jedi just flipping around, like where the hell did all this come from? And this is start, and this takes place before the whole Star Wars thing. So yeah, they, they kind of messed with the uh, continuity with the uh, future tech and stuff like that. At least they solve it in season three. Cause now they're way the fuck in the future in season three. So now it doesn't matter. Now they can do whatever the hell they want and it, it's fine. But <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that I enjoyed season three a great deal. Um, Especially as we were saying, the episode that was Michaelless, like that was <laughs> that was good. But like all of season three has been really, really decent, except for some things there at the end. Yeah, because yeah, I just because I, I just I watched season three recently and it was really fun and it's probably the best season that they've had. I think I think it's incrementally gotten better uh, as it's gone on, mm-hmm. but the the whole reason for the burn of why everything blew up that they that they you know, they establish at the very end of the season is like, really? That's what caused it? Like, come on. Like, really, guys? Come on. Like, no. Alex, uh, the, the showrunner of this, Alex Kurtzman, was, I mean, he sort of grew as a writer in the whole J.J. Abrams house of, of yes, you know. That's true. Mm-hmm. He's very much, which is very much, like, based around the idea of mystery boxes and, like, building up this, like, really interesting mystery over the course of a series, which I'm I'm obviously referencing Lost here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to go there. They, yeah. They're not that great at delivering the endings, though. Like the, the <laughs> no. endings are never satisfying to the mystery, no. and that's exactly no, what not. happened here. Yeah. It's, it's a common problem of a lot of anime series. Like you have all this buildup, and it's a really exciting action, and then you get to the, like the very end, and then it kind of poops out, and it's like ah. Oh. Yeah. And yep. some people are okay with that. Like they enjoy the the journey of the mystery. But to me, if if the delivery isn't solid, then I don't even feel like rewatching it because it's like there's no point. Mm-hmm. But I, I will I, say I really enjoyed season. I, I don't want to leave on a note of negativity when I liked the season so much. No, I and I think where the series really took off for me was the end of season two. I actually loved how they kind of hit a lot of continuity errors right at the end. And I don't think everybody loved that. I think you didn't, you didn't ask um, when yeah. like they wrote the ship out of Federation history completely. And like they had that directive and like Spock was the one who talked about it. Like, this is what we have to do. And, you know, it, I, I liked that. And then I, it, it launched into season three, which I've enjoyed the most as well. No, so. That was good. That was good how they, they ended season two. I do like how they, it, it, it's a very good way to, and the season and establish season three at the same time. That was, that was good. Mm-hmm. That was definitely was, one of the best it, things that they did. It was something that needed to happen because um, none of this made sense with what we'd already seen. Uh, I just, I just think it's another symptom of the problem of doing a prequel, but not respecting the canon that's already been established. Um, you know, like I was never on board with Michael being 
you know Spock's adopted sister because uh, <laughs> it, it made zero sense. It, I mean, we already had like he had a brother named Cybok that wasn't mentioned until the fifth movie, and that made yep. no sense then. And now he's got an adopted sister that he never mentioned, and uh, also is not in the alternate Kelvin universe either. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, was, I, I didn't like that idea, but I, it was the right decision to send them to the future. Yeah, uh, That's where the show should have started, in my opinion, because a lot of my problems with it being a prequel go away once they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? The visual effects and all the cool stuff that they've done in season three with the uh, 30th century or whatever, wherever they are, mm-hmm. 32nd. Um, it, it's cool. I mean, like the matter that just moves around all the time and oh, the programmable matter. Yeah, programmable matter. That's it. Yeah, that is. And, and now that they have the ability to do those kind of visual effects at the scale they can, it just really is a whole nother. It, it's just awesome. I, I think that's cool. It takes it to the next level of a sci-fi show. I agree, yeah, it, and that's the best part about putting it in this time, the space, and the timeline. And Correct. It, it, and it seems like they're going to stick with that, so that's that's good. They should uh, they should stay there. <laughs> but uh, I would say, I would say for me uh, overall, it's been a fun, despite some continuity crap that they've done. Uh, it's it has been a fun continuing storyline. Um, some of the characters I I do really like. I do like I do like the Michael character, and maybe I have more of a uh, a bias towards the the actress because I saw her. Uh, in The Walking Dead. She was in a few seasons of The Walking Dead. She played a really good character in that show, and I was excited to see her uh, get the lead for this show. So I've always I've liked her from before. So I, I haven't minded that so much. I, I do understand why people would be as upset with that, because as, as, as you guys mentioned, it's been more of a, a ensemble kind of kind of thing, the movies and the shows, and, and this is much different than that. But yeah, it's been fun. But the character I love more than anybody else. I'm, I'm sad that she's gone. I understand why she's gone, but I'm sad. I, I really loved Michelle Yeoh's character uh, from the, uh, the, what should we call it? From the Mirror Universe. From, from Mirror the, universe, the, the yeah. Empress. The Empress. Mm-hmm. Mich- Michelle Yeoh as the Empress is absolutely amazing. <laughs> well, her, she's getting uh, her own show. You're going to have oh, your own show with her. Great. I, and I'm going to love it because, yes, her her portrayal of, of that character and the little snarky remarks that she makes all the time is is great. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. And all the all the stuff in with that Empire uh, in the alternate universe has been fun. So, what, like, one of my favorite episodes was the when she left. It was the two-parter when she kind of got transported back to her uh, Empire and became in, in the past and kind of was able to redo the events of things that she had done in the past so that the... Uh, the, that person that guarded the gate could kind of test her to see how she had evolved as a character was really nice. And that's been, that's another thing. Like she's entertaining as a character, but she had a lot of character growth. That's been, that was really fun to see as well. Did anyone notice in that uh, two-parter at the end uh, where she puts her sword through Michael and it's like the bad CG effects, it just sort of like wiggles around inside <laughs> of her. No. It's, it's so <laughs> awful. I'll have to go, I'll have to go back and watch that. Uh, and they have already they may have already fixed. Well, no, there's no. There's been no. Uh, I, I don't know. They may have already fixed it. Sometimes they fix this stuff for like Blu-rays, but now that they do it with streaming, I don't know how they would how they would do that. Uh, but it, like I watched, I watched the version that like the day it came out, and it was just like I was staring right at it, and it was so blatantly bad to me. Maybe I just <laughs> noticed stuff like that because I I'm into video editing <laughs> and stuff, but. 
it it was very clear. It looked like a video game where like a character sticks a sword through the another character, and it just like it's not really you know it's not like gone through a body. It's just clipping through. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's funny. So, along with uh, Discovery, um, you want to talk of the short treks since they kind of intertwine oh. with this at all? Forgot, forgot about start or forgot about short treks. Um, uh, I mean, they're little what eight, ten, twelve minute episodes. Yeah, and they're they're done in all different stuff. Um, what's hilarious? I got to show my kids the one with the tardigrade because oh, yeah. they they are fixated on this show. Uh, PBS Wild Kratts. They love Wild Kratts, and they are just into every little bit of information about animals in the world. And my four year old talks all the time about tardigrades how they can live everywhere and they can do anything and they can survive even outer space i'm like oh my god i gotta show them to start the short trek about that i just want to i just want to say i the first thing that i saw about star trek discovery since i didn't catch it as it was airing was i believe it was a short trek with h john benjamin but i'm not sure what were they doing what's that is he in the show He's in the show, yes. I'm not sure who that is. H. John Benjamin's the dude with the incredibly deep voice. I'm thinking I'm thinking the guy who plays Archer, but maybe that's not Yes, yes, that's the guy. Oh, okay. I don't think no, he's not in the show. I think he was in a short trek episode because that's the first thing I saw of it and I it made me go. He's the one who made the triple. Yeah, and I'm like, yes! is this Star Trek Discovery? Is this what it is? Oh, <laughs> because it's it's him. It's him in the office with I think the captain, and it's just like so anti what I knew to be Star Trek up to that point. Yes. Yeah, where he sort Do you of. You know what I'm talking like... about? I haven't watched so the shorts. Just... The shorts yet. All right, so this is a short trek one where um, this girl gets her own ship. Um, she gets promoted, takes over a science vessel. And he's um, one of the scientists on the vessel. And they're trying to create, um, they're trying to figure out how to feed the population of this planet. There's a famine going on or something. And they're a science vessel at this planet. And he tells, he talks to her, he's like, hey, you know, there's a species called the Tribble. And I think we can like genetically modify it so that, um, you know, it reproduces really fast and that be that creates so much protein for the population. Like they could eat these triples and everything. And they're like, no, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. And he does it anyway because he's getting fired and like moved off the ship. Like he's so antagonistic towards the captain in that um, interview. And he does it and it sets up the whole like trouble with triples, basically. It, it's that prequel. And there is a hilarious breakfast cereal commercial at the end of it after the credits, like a 30 second. Like you see kids like dipping a spoon in like their little bowl and it's like a bowl of triples. And they're like, mm, yummy. That was my first experience with Discovery. And I'm like, there is no way this is what that is. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know how I feel about like the idea that. Like it seemed like at least from the way they framed it, it's like he was an outsider and and uh, the captain like made no no um, didn't try anything to like try to keep him on board. And I mean, I get that it's a comedy. It's 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 silly to make to analyze it that much. And it's why I I really I I generally haven't made a big deal out of any of the short track stuff because it just meant as like sort of one offs. Yeah, it's like uh, if you compare that to. Barclay from Next Generation, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of people have made the comparison between these two. It's like uh, he was almost shamed out of his job. <laughs> oh yeah, well you know it's a it's a new captain, so you know that's the kind of 
command decisions that they may make incorrectly. Yeah, and it, and it's also the 23rd century. Like the way they th- did things in the TOS era is quite different from how humanity was supposed to have been evolved in the 24th century. So there's there's that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I can see how if you just watch this and you see the serial commercial at the end, you could think, "What has happened to Star Trek?" <laughs> <laughs> That is exactly what happened with me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I want to say that cereal commercial looks like it could be right out of the 80s, too. It, it, I want It looks old, even. But nice. it, it's it's funny. All right. Uh, so should we move on or we got anything else? Oh, I just I just the, the last thing I got is uh, I also forgot to mention I, I, one of the characters I also appreciate is Saru. He's kind of mm. the straight man of the show, and I, I like how they do it. And the the way his character is built, like physically, is very interesting. The, the whole Kelpian race. Like, is this... So I'm not... You guys will probably know more than than I, but has the Kelpian race showed up before in Star Trek? No. Okay. No. I just I just there... like the way like his arms kind of wave behind him back and forth, and it's very fluid. There's a short Trek nice. episode with him that you're going to really like. Ah, okay, awesome. He's definitely the uh, standout character of Discovery, and even in season one when I liked Discovery hardly at all, uh, he he was the redeeming factor. Mm-hmm. He was he's always the one compass for the show. Yeah, and he's always the one like, Michael, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just quit your shit. Stop it. We oh, wouldn't be in this mess definitely. if you just stop meddling. <laughs> but it always works. <laughs> Except when it creates wars. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of wars, it's time to have one. <laughs> this is the uh, our next show we're going to talk about is the reason we're even having a show tonight. I know when this streamed last January, was it January, February? It came out yeah. last year. February. Um, yeah. I think this is when Austin and I started communicating on the den more and talking week by week our way through this show. And uh, Pendy, do you want to take the lead on this at the beginning I will. here? <laughs> I, I have no idea what you guys are talking about, by the way. I have El Zilcho because I also didn't look at the show notes. <laughs> oh, I wish I could Star be Trek, Star Trek Picard. Yes. So Picard is another CBS all-access show. The first season aired in uh, 2020, just last year, and it follows fan-favorite Star Trek The Next Generation's captain, Jean-Luc Picard. The first season follows Picard as he tries to help an android that is being hunted down by secret Romulan cult. Uh, personally, I think the cast- casting is great for this show. Um, Allison Pill is an actress that's uh, in the show. I hadn't seen her since uh, Scott Pilgrim, and it was great to see her play that character, especially in, especially considering what she ha- her character has to go through uh, in the first season. Uh, Data, in a roundabout way, is involved in this storyline as well, and that was great to see. Um, the guy who plays Picard's uh, bo- Romulan bodyguard is fun. I like his naivete uh, about the world, and that's always that was always entertaining. Uh, Rios, who's the uh, captain of the ship that Picard ends up being on, uh, the the little holograms that he had uh, made to kind of help him run the ship and the various functions on the ship, that's pretty much my favorite part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are a blast, and I'll go into to why later. Uh, I like the two R- Romulan uh, siblings that are an- the antagonist of the show. They were great. Uh, one of them I had seen recently in Gotham. She plays one of the Poison Ivies. Um, and even though I hadn't gotten to see her part yet in Voyager, because like I said, I've only 
been through part of season one. I did enjoy uh, Seven of Nine's appearance in the show, which I guess we'll go into about how she's uh, different from how she was in Voyager. So, and, and I hope that she'll be more of a regular cast member in season two. They kind of set that up. So we'll see how that goes. I mostly like the show. Uh, there were a few things I thought could have been done better. Uh, big spoiler here. Um, you guys don't mind about spoilers with the show, right? We're spoiling every one of these okay. shows. Okay, good, cool, cool. Uh, but so basically, at the very end, Picard dies uh, in kind of sacrificing himself on this journey that he goes along. He's diagnosed with this fatal disease and he suc- succumbs to it while saving this race of androids. Uh, it actually it could have been a really good way for his character to go out of the series. I thought it was really well done. It was very poetic, but Nope. Surprise, he's still alive. They just slap his brain in an android body, and then they don't give him any enhancements whatsoever. They somehow program it so that he's still going to die when he naturally would have died had he not had the, the whole brain disease. Uh, even his even his character in, in the show is like, you couldn't give me like an extra few years to live or something, you know, in this android body. For, to me, that just made no sense. That was weird. So the way they set it up, I'm guessing season two probably will just have him carry on and they probably won't even address it uh, and just treat him like it never happened. So it's kind of a huge cop out as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Uh, this, this show also gets a little awkward with the romantic relationships, in my opinion. At one point, the character goes through a traumatic experience, the one who's played by Alison Pill and seek solace from another character and they end up sleeping together and, and that makes sense in the moment you know to, uh, that i understand but then at the very end of the t- <clears throat> but then at the very end of the show with no further character development between the two now they're suddenly a couple i guess so that was that was weird they didn't really set that up very well um it's just it's just and they don't seem like two characters that would would be in a relationship so it just i don't know that didn't make any sense to me either and also in the last episode this this bothered me as they kind of do a pan of like uh, everybody on the ship and as they had all come together and everything was all right in the world and they had just saved everybody and they show seven and seven seven of nine and raffi those two characters as having a romantic relationship apparently and i was like what where did this come from like not that i mind that they're doing that but like it just came out of nowhere there was no character build up to it and now i guess they're a couple so that was that that was stupid too uh, uh so just a lot of these things seem really forced which is unfortunate but despite all that i did enjoy the season overall uh, I, I like the character most of the character moments and a lot of the plot that they came up with and storylines and things like that i still do look forward to season two um it's just for me uh, more than anything else i like the cast of characters that they came up with and i just hope they just don't they muck they don't muck it up for the next season so that's that's my opinion on it it sounds like yeah. a lot of bad fanfic writing, to be honest. With the like, <laughs> a lot of that force stuff, feels like. what it feels like. It's like no, that's like that is that's an unironic take on it. Is that's they they did these things because I don't know. It's it's almost like they didn't focus test it, and then like the head writer just went, "Yeah, I like this. We're going with this." Well, you're not watching Captain Picard. You're watching Patrick Stewart. Uh, he's I mean he's a great actor. Uh, I'm sure he's a fantastic man, uh, but he's always had opinions on what Picard should be. Um, Most notably, like he's always wanted him to be like the action hero and, and, and nemesis he's responsible for that dune buggy scene. Yeah, dude, watch, watch any, well, I guess we'll get there, but watch any of the movies. Movie Picard is a completely different person. Yep. And TV TV show movie or Picard. Well, like they say in the lower decks, that's uh, movie logic. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but that's, uh, I don't know. The character we see here is not really the one we see in Next Gen. And I don't, I don't want to be too negative. Uh, All that time I, traveling fucked with a man. Yeah. Was. <laughs> uh, I'll just put it this way. It's, um, you know, Discovery <clears throat> is not always good Star Trek, but it's usually a, a good TV show. Mm-hmm. Picard, especially with its ending, it, man, it's just, I don't, I don't think it's good writing. I think it ended terribly. Um, there was so much of it doesn't make sense all throughout. It, it's just, uh, it did not resonate with me yeah I, I do i do agree that it ended the some of the plot lines did end terribly like it, leading up to it i liked it but like the whole picard death thing i was like oh come on the 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 death thing um what was that device they used at the end the, like the sonic screwdriver thing that just was magic basically it can it, it like i think the line was that it can it can make whatever you want it to like whatever you're thinking of oh the repair the repair device yeah yeah, that it it works through magic. <laughs> that's and that's how they resolve the Deus Ex Machina. That's how they resolve like the big conflict at the end. That's the Deus Ex Machina. And uh, you know, the more I thought about it, because I, I defended the show more last year um, than, than I will right here. Although, again, I like it. It's fun going back. Um, I had something highlighted that Pendy said and commented in our notes with this whole like, what the hell? This suddenly is happening, and this suddenly is happening. This suddenly is happening. Like, I feel like this is where these modern 10 to 12 episode seasons get out of whack with what we're used to, like back in the day with 24 episode, 25 episode seasons. Like, mm-hmm. sure, you have a bunch of fluff and filler episodes, but that's where like these little relationships could have actually worked. And it's where you have that. OK, so you have a one off Riker um, and Troy episode. And I liked that one. But my God, that, that it was a whole episode. So it takes like. 10% of the whole season away, not like one episode out of 24. And, you know, there's just episodes. What is it? There's a lot of episodes where the uh, Romulan guy is just gone and, you know, he's he's out of there. So, you know, there's it, but that's, again, like three or four episodes and he doesn't appear in it right at the beginning either. So he's not in it enough to really make a huge impact, even though I like that. And they tied his um, the order of Romulans that he's part of into Discovery season three. That's right, they did because Michael's mom is part of that order. Yeah, all, all those years later. Yeah, yeah. The co- Coet Malat. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. I, I think that was mm-hmm. kind of a cool little piece of world building. Uh-huh. And I don't mind that it was taken over into Discovery. But, you know, where I feel like they start losing some stuff is I feel the fan theories out there about some of these things in Discovery and Picard are way better than what they wrote. When we talk about the endings, um, Control being the big thing in Discovery Season 2, that would have been so awesome if it was turned out to be the Borg later on. Like, that was a theory at one point. And then you get the same plot device in Picard that, you know, there's machines that are going to take over all sentient life in the galaxy. Like, how does that not link up with Discovery? Because they didn't. They didn't bother to even link that. Yeah, and and I thought they were going to because there's that moment where Seven is on the Borg ship and she, like, goes into the Queen's chamber and then her eyes go black, sort of the same way the characters do when they're under the power of control in yes. Discovery. And I thought that's where they were going. And I... I kind of, I did, I'll admit, I personally did not want them to do that, but I think it's mm-hmm. so bizarre that they didn't do the obvious thing and connect those two. Yeah, because I, I feel like you just keep getting this whole, okay, we're telling the same story twice, but not even linking them. Yeah, yeah. And 
So, and and yeah. if you don't like that story in Discovery, you're not going to like it here either. Correct. Yeah. It's like, okay, so let's do it again. Like, why? Why? Why, why do this again? Like, it, it, you've already done it. And right. they were back-to-back last year, weren't they? Picard and then Discovery Season 2 or Discovery Season 2, then Picard? They were in the same year, at least, yeah. It, so it was, I mean, it was really like let you hit you over the head and hit you over the head again, but we're using the other hand. It's still a hand, but we're hitting you with both of them. <laughs> I like and, the uh, I like the Android planet, and um, you had the uh, the one. I don't know the actress's name that plays all the old version of her that looked sort of like Data. I thought that was cool. Oh like yeah, yeah. Those, that flower defense. That was very like sci-fi and like classic. Like it feels like something you see in season one of TNG. Yeah, it's yeah interesting to use like an organic defense system. As opposed to what you usually see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad that the uniforms are colorful again. Although they, <laughs> the main cast didn't wear any uniforms. So that's about all I got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the- there's, we've got 10 episodes. So, I mean, this is not like, you know, all the other series we've been talking about. So go ahead, Pendy. I know you had some other stuff about this. Oh. I mean, I think that's all my thoughts on it. Oh, I was just going to say, like, uh, as far as Picard's character goes, like, I actually don't mind where they went with how his character is because they at least bothered to kind of write into the beginning of the season like why he had become the way he had become because of events leading up to uh uh the the season of Picard so that made it understandable Mm -hmm. for me so I I was like okay so he was you know he's very jaded and you know he's got this he's got this brain thing going on he's coming to the end of his life so he's gonna say fuck it a little bit and kind of go off go off the cuff so I, I didn't mind that Mm-hmm. If you read the book uh, that precedes this, it makes a little bit more sense, mm. but not not a whole lot more. I mean, they <laughs> they sum it up. They they sum up the book basically in the show without miss, missing the uh, finer details. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I would and I would say um, for favorite episodes for this one um, would be episode eight. Uh, that's the episode where all the Rios clones come together. <laughs> it's when when Rafi's character is trying to figure out uh, the what happened in Rios's past because he's freaking out. And so she's trying to get information from all the Rios holograms. And it's just, they, they, the guy must have had a blast playing all those different characters with all the different accents. So that was, that was fun to see. So that was uh, my, my favorite episode. And, and plus the, the serious part of it where you find out like why Rios left Starfleet and what led up to that. That was interesting to to see as well it made a lot of sense to me and i thought it was a good story so that was definitely my favorite of the episodes i liked i like troy and Riker. i, I do oh i, I yeah. enjoyed visiting them again mm-hmm. and i even like i even like the world building they did with the planet that they lived on that was pretty cool yeah um i, I did was... not like episode five which one was that uh the removing one... eyeballs yeah oh, i hope you're not I hope, I hope nobody's a fan of each app oh the character oh yeah i know what you're talking about yeah i looked that up I was like, oh, well, just they killed off a lot of people in the show. Actually, they they took a lot of because I, I did some research and they took some side characters from various series and they're like, ah, oh, let's make him a character and oh, now he's dead. <laughs> yep, yep. So, so that was that was interesting. You, um, you got a callback and then a death. Yeah. <laughs> Remember him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's dead. All right, well, if you want a show full of callbacks that's uh, maybe a little bit better than uh, Picard, Oss, do you want to talk about our uh, last series? Have you guys heard of a show called Rick and Morty? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, no, wait. Uh, it looks like uh, Pindy put his notes in mine. I was like, did I write notes for Lower Decks? Oh, <laughs> I, I see what happened there. Yeah, that was my Then, <laughs> then Pendy, would you like to introduce the Lower Decks? Yes, the uh, the Star Trek uh, Rick and Morty. <laughs> it's not a bad, not a, not a horrible comparison. Maybe, maybe... Maybe a little unfair, but that's okay. So the <laughs> the lower decks is an animated comedy following excuse me, following lower ranking officers relegated to the lower decks of their ship of the ship that's in the show and their uh, and the menial tasks that they need to perform. Uh, the first season was released again under CBS All Access in twenty twenty. Uh, there are basically four main characters in the show. There's a brand new officer that is always trying too hard to get promoted. There's an officer who's been in Starfleet a long time, but she keeps getting demoted because she keeps getting in trouble and being rebellious. There's a, uh, a new Orion medical officer who tends to get way too overexcited from time to time. And then there's a, a newer engineering officer who had recently got a cyber enhancement to his brain. And this unfortunately will mess with his personality and it kind of glitches out here and there. Uh, I think it's a really fun show. It's not meant to be taken seriously. It's the, the comedy is mostly general and broad, but they do constantly sprinkle in jokes and references to other Star Trek characters throughout the universe, the Star Trek universe. Uh, the, the actress Tawny Newsom, she plays the officer who's very rebellious and keeps getting demoted from getting in trouble all the time. I'm actually familiar with her from watching uh, the Steve Carell led a space force show that's on netflix she's somewhat reserved in that show but she goes all out in lower decks it's very entertaining her character is extremely energetic in the show it's it's really good really fun to watch uh, <laughs> one of the things i liked about it that they they had in the show is they have this dog that comes into play uh tendy who's that medical officer she creates a uh, earth a dog from uh, earth as a science project kind of from the ground up but she's not familiar with Earth at all, so ends up the the character, the dog, ends up doing all these uh, hilarious alien-like transformations <laughs> and and activities that are very not dog-like whatsoever. So that's that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I would say uh, by far my my favorite episode was episode six. It involves my favorite character of the show, Badgie. <laughs> he's a he's a holodeck character that's shaped like a Star Trek badge. He's just he's just created to train people it's the engineering guy is the one who creates him in the holodeck but he's certain but uh something goes wrong and badgy turns into this hilarious and murderous psychopath um <laughs> and they also it's it's great how they use him as a weapon in the season finale as well he's played by uh, jack mcbrayer which if you remember he's the uh, fix-it guy from wreck it ralph and that plays an NBC uh page on 30 rock so it's it, his kind of acting where he's kind of all nice and and folksy and and him kind of flipping the switch and then becoming murderous is absolutely hilarious. So that, that's my thoughts on the show so far. <laughs> I actually liked, um, God, I love this show so much. I, I went into it really, really reserved on, you know, it being an animated show for one and then how it was going to handle just being an animated Star Trek show. And I was pleasantly surprised by it. Like I enjoy it. I'm a big comedy fan, so it it it, it did it did a little bit extra for me. Um, my my favorite one has to be uh, the fifth episode, which was the one where um, Boimler has his girlfriend come on board, and uh, Mariner is, spends the entire episode trying to figure out what is wrong with this woman to be interested in <laughs> Boimler. She can't be real. She's got to be something else. <laughs> She's out of your league, man. 
Yeah, um, I was, oh, man, I was coming off of Picard when this show was about to come on, and it's like, uh, I was, uh, I was uh, pessimistic about where Star Trek was going, and <laughs> I was, uh, I was cautious to begin with when they announced, you know, an animated comedy as well, like Rurian said. But yeah, uh, the first episode, I, I think my opinion on that was it wasn't terrible. And then uh, as each episode came out, it was you know a little bit more. Uh, I found it a little bit more charming each time. And I think season or I think episode four or five was the one where I, I decided I liked it. By the end, uh, I decided it's, it's definitely my favorite animated show. Uh, it's it's the best thing I think uh, for Star Trek since. Enterprise went off the air. Uh, I will have to say I've enjoyed this. Yeah, it, it, more than uh, I mean, I love Discovery Picard. I was OK with. But I mean, to be excited to watch a show this much every week, like it just freaking cracked me up. And Yangus is putting in the chat like this sounds hilarious. It is. It would be like if you I feel like the whole thing is almost like a Star Trek comedy roast done by people who know star trek and love star trek so much yeah it, yeah it, the inside jokes i mean my god i had to i i remember i'd watch every episode i'd usually watch it a second time and then i would go online and try to find there was always an article every week written by some clickbait article by some clickbait site like all the inside jokes you missed from this week's episode and I'd read through it to make sure I got them all. And I never did because they're talking so fast and they're hitting so many so hard. Um, yeah, I think my favorite one is the one where they reference Zahn, which was um, supposed to be the Spock replacement. When they were, yeah, they were supposed to they were coming up with the idea of of uh, phase two, the sequel show for the original series. And Zahn was supposed to be sort of like the new Vulcan. See, I never even made that connection. Yeah, I don't remember what uh, what the joke was in Lower Decks, but it's something like, uh, I don't want to become a Zon, which is basically, you know, like, <laughs> somebody nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, it's, it's like Matt said, like, they, you know, parody Star Trek a lot, but they also respect the source material at the same time, which is a hard, uh, hard type rope to walk, but they, they do it uh, pretty well in this show. And I mean, it's it's a they're good Star Trek stories too. Yeah, like, uh, I, I I thought uh, I can't I, think of anything off the top of my head, but I thought they were all. Um, I mean, if I remember right, one of the, one of the later episodes even had a whole freaking drumhead trial, which like gave gave a good gives a good callback to Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was great. That it, it was yeah <laughs> taking that. I mean, I love that. Was the first one? Was it the first one that was called Second Contact? Yes. Yep. As that whole concept is like so meta in universe. You see, Kirk and Picard making first contact with everyone, and it's like you said earlier. Like it's all about them teaching the morals of the Federation, and here's what you know. And it's great now that we've met you. Things will be awesome, and then you come back for you know and see what second contacts like the guys who have to go clean up afterwards and just you know uh, here's a bunch of crap you know whatever <laughs> oh that, speaking of, of cleaning up and a lot of crap remember the uh, the little scene oh, where the holodeck cleaning up the yes. holodeck <laughs> yep what's all the holodeck's used for <laughs> yeah that's uh some of these are jokes that have been sort of passed around the fandom for a while and uh 
I don't know. I have mixed feelings on that because it feels like they're some of them are obvious, but uh, they definitely like that one was definitely executed very well, uh, and it's sort of nice to see them recognized in a Star Trek show. Because I thought they did it pretty good with an episode of the Orville about that. Oh, is that the, the sec- one where uh, Bordis becomes addicted to the holodeck? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's basically just porn addiction like that. Yeah. That was a good episode. Yeah, and, the, and like someone, uh, I think, it, I forget who, who mentioned it, but someone else mentioned that else they also do that we want- great, great character moments uh, in this show as well. Like the whole thing with the one character and, and trying to get along with her mom and, and how she progresses uh, throughout the show. It's, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, my favorite episode out of this entire thing was Crisis Point. That's the uh, the movie episode. That was uh, by the, the time we got to that point, I was watching each episode uh, twice at least. And Crisis Point, I think I watched three times before the next episode even even dropped. What what uh, what was what was happening in that episode? That's the uh, that's the one where they I forget how it starts out, but they oh the movie episode. To- yeah, they go to the holodeck, and that's and, right. And yeah, she's they, like, they "I'm write gonna... their own movie." Yeah, so she she reprograms the whole thing to, yeah, okay. Now I know you're talking about. That was good. Yeah, yeah, and they even switch out. Like once once the the movie starts, they even sort of switch the aspect ratio over to like a letterbox presentation, like you uh, see. Oh, did it. they? That's yeah. Like, oh, and then the, and then the one guy that keep, keeps getting hit by the credits. That was nice too. <laughs> But uh, I think um, uh, there's one line in that episode sort of near the end where it's like, I can't remember what it was about, but they uh, you know, they said, we got to beam everybody off the ship. And then the other guy says, what, you can't do that in this amount of time? And then the guy's like, no, this this is a movie. You can do all sorts of beaming stuff in a movie. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the joke that everybody seems to sort of be passing around uh, lately. It references like not only the Abrams films, but uh, all the movies where people are magically able to beam through shields and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've, like there's just been, and it's, I think, it, what's nice about this, like I don't get all the Star Trek references because I still need to watch a lot of the, the shows and, and things like that, or I just have watched it once and may have forgotten about it. But even with that, there's so much broad and general humor in it as well. I, and, and some of the references I do get because they're they're more uh, basic ones. It's it's been a lot of fun. It's been uh, I, I enjoy the show a lot. Yeah, there's there's definitely things there if you don't know every single reference. Um, there are a couple that I, I didn't get immediately, but I think most of them, I've watched so much Star Trek at this point, most of them <laughs> I got, and it's definitely, it definitely adds something if you, if you can get a lot more of the references, but uh, it's, it's a solid comedy show within its own right, and that's not necessary to enjoy it, and you don't have to see everything. Yeah. The one thing that I'll say about actually all these shows that we just talked about, uh, Discovery, Picard, uh, Lower Decks, is... Um, it, I I remember when it first when Discovery first came out, I was upset that it was only going to be CBS All Access because like I don't want to pay for another streaming service just to go, go watch this stuff because you know yeah. there's like a billion streaming services now and this is about and CBS All Access is about to become Paramount Plus, but uh, it's 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 annoying how that is. I was hoping it was going to be on on TV too, but nope. Um, but I was lucky to see Discovery season one and two because. I was in, in South Korea at the time, and of course they don't have CBS, but they do have Netflix. So they actually put Discovery on Netflix in South Korea. So, huh? That's interesting. Yeah, I just buy it on 
Blu-ray or whatever whenever I get the chance. That's how I watch it. I don't really stream this stuff. Yeah, um, I I mean, I'm obligated to purchase every Star Trek series, so I even own season one of Picard. Uh, I'll definitely pick up the Blu-ray of this. Have they even released Lower Decks on Blu-ray yet? I don't think so. Uh, I do need to check. Let's check Amazon. Nope, it they they still they still tunnel it through to CBS All Access, so that tells me that they, there's nothing yet. Uh, something Platy said earlier about him being excited for each episode every week. That's um, that's that's something that this show uh, brought back to me that I haven't felt since watching Enterprise as a kid. Uh, I, I've was not excited, you know, for the other two episodes. The other two uh, series, I wasn't as excited for each new uh, episode, man. But Lower Decks, like especially near the end of the season, I was so into it. It's like I couldn't wait for Thursday to come around. And uh, I, I got some of that in the season three of Discovery, but it, it didn't. It wasn't on the same level as Lower Decks. Oddly enough, the, the animated series is the one that I seem to enjoy the most. <laughs> well, it's, it's a it's a good show for like old and new fans alike. So, I mean, yeah. it. It, it it made me burn my free trial to CBS All Access to watch it. So, because nice. I I did it after they had all uh, gone up, I guess. So, because it was in late October, early November that I watched uh, Lower Decks. Nice. Well, does anyone else have uh, anything to say on uh, Lower Decks before we go on to the movies? I think I've said it all. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're pretty pretty good. On all that. Right. Uh, so, Star Trek movies. How about uh, Platy's having a, a few issues, so we'll, we'll just keep going. He wants us to move on. So, how about uh, Austin? You start with your favorite movies. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I was doing notes for all of these, and by the time I got to, <laughs> by the time I got this far down the list, I was running out of time and, and just sort of putting in brief notes. Uh, my favorite movies, though, would have to be Wrath of Khan. Mm. Um, the Voyage Home, and um, man, it's hard to choose between First Contact and Insurrection. I had to pick at least one Next Generation movie. I like Insurrection of of the uh, Next Generation movies a lot. I mean, it, it's basically just an extra long episode, and that's why I like Insurrection. Uh, so you know what? Yeah, I guess that is a good point about it. If we do original movies, though, uh, I, I guess I kind of deviate a little bit. Sure, Wrath of Khan's a great movie. I really love Undiscovered Country. That's a good one. I, I agree. I, I like that movie. I think the I, uh, I think the motion picture is a little underrated, but I can understand no, mo- why. Motion picture is great because it's like you said with Insurrection. It's basically just a long episode. Yeah. And sometimes uh, the, that works for me, and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> the motion picture suffers from pacing problems near the end. I think the director's cut really did a yeah. better job of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're gonna watch it. I don't think you need to watch the director cuts of all the movies, but definitely the first movie, the motion picture, you should watch director's cut of it. Was it the Voyage Home? Was that the one with the whales? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, not, not one of my favorites. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I get that. Like, it's not a traditional Star Trek movie, for mm-hmm. one. I mean, it's a comedy. Yeah, I guess it is, looking back on it. What was the what was the one, before I go into my favorites, uh, what was the one... Uh, where they basically kind of almost came into contact with a uh, like a godlike creature. It was the, the TOS crew as well. Star Trek Five. That might have been it. Uh, oh, okay. The uh, Final Frontier. 
Oh, yeah, I couldn't stand that one. Ugh. Yeah, I don't like <laughs> That's that probably one. the weakest of all the original movies. Yeah, I think so, too. That's uh, uh, also where we, we get to meet Spock's brother, Cybok. <laughs> you get to imagine this happy little family with Michael and Spock and Cybok. <laughs> all they were all out. there together. Yes, yeah. they were from the very beginning. <laughs> I, I do understand. I, yeah, I definitely understand with you know so much Star Trek lore that they have gone a little too hard in the paint with a uh, retconning every once in a while. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yuhura like does a sexy dance in that one. Oh yeah. I think I think I've only seen uh, Final Frontier like all of one or two times ever. Mm. So. That it's movie is very spotty. Time. It's a very spotty movie for me. When I was taking my wife through the entire franchise, we, I, I just skipped that one. I was like, you don't need to see that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably for the best. Yeah, that's great. You're, you're better off watching Nemesis. Yeah, you guys mentioned Insurrection. That was a that, that's the top of my ones. I really um, enjoy like the concept of um, like paradises in like how they would describe like how a paradise kind of thing could come about in sci-fi so the whole like uh metaphysic particles that make the people on uh what is it Baku immortal in insurrection I, I thought that's like really cool um and all the changes it kind of does with the cast a little bit like uh Jordy can take off his visor because his eyes are regrown and everything um and I kind of like that concept also in Star Trek Generations with the, uh, what is it, the energy ribbon that Kirk gets stuck in. Mm. Oh, yeah. The, the Nexus. The yeah, Nexus, that's, that's it. That's that's another one of those movies that you're better off watching the director's cut for. You know, I actually liked Generations. Uh, I get that it's not everyone's favorite, and it could have been better. but uh, What better reason I... to watch it if not to see Kirk and Picard on the screen at the same time? <laughs> yep. It's true. I yeah, it was a little, it was a little goofy, uh, but I do like how they passed the baton from the original Star Trek crew to uh, TNG in that movie, because yeah, the bad guy in it was kind of only so-so and whatever. But the character moments I thought were a lot of fun, so I really that's one of my favorites. Plus, you get to see the Enterprise D on the big screen and and all of the Enterprise sets uh, on in that format, and that's something that. You didn't like even with the TOS movies, like they didn't have the old ship there. They had it was refurbished. Yep. Mm -hmm. Which the the entire reason they destroyed the ship in Generations is because they needed to build a set for Voyager and they didn't have enough room. What? Oh. Was that? Yeah. Was that the one? Was that the which which uh, TNG movie was it where they crash landed the the ship the saucer section of the ship? Yeah, yeah that was Generations. That was Generations. Oh, I love that. Oh, it was so that was so fun. Riker was driving, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, I love that that portion yeah, of the movie. That was that was, uh, that was uh, actually Deanna that was driving. Oh, that's right. Oh, was that's it? right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the uh, the riders have gotten flack for. Woman driver joke. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't want to say it, but that's yeah. <laughs> the first time that uh, Troy or is at the helm or at the captain seat. Well, I mean, I mean, if it, 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 if you want to get real about it, she's the ship's therapist. She's not going to have any idea really how to drive a drive a oh, yeah. ship. Yeah, true. They were just least... trying to find things for that character to do. They always had that problem in the series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's by far the least technical person on that ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yangus had to give us a little note. Yeah, he he definitely wants to shout out to um 
Kirk singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat and uh, <laughs> Spock questioning the point of that song. That was Star Trek V, wasn't it? Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that That's where that, it would probably be. That was the movie that Shatner directed. Mm-hmm. 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 Never directed one again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. All right. Have we all set our piece for uh, movies? No, no. Uh, I, weren't you oh. gonna? Do you want to go into some of yours or? You oh, good? I, 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 I was just wanted to hit on the insurrection and the enter the nexus. Talk about those. Those are. I mean, oh, okay. I, okay. I, I've I've kind of enjoyed all the movies for you know things that they were had their ups had their downs, um, but those were the ones I wanted to shout out. Nice. Yeah, I, I understand uh, why Rathacon is is one of the big favorites out there. I think, Austin, you said that was one of your favorites. Um, so I thought it was pretty ballsy of them to basically kind of redo that movie for uh, the new movie, the new J.J. Abrams movies with Into Darkness. But I, my personal opinion, I think they did so brilliantly. Like, I really like the performance that Benedict Cumberbatch did in that movie as Khan. And, I mean, I think that's the movie that really put him on the map uh, as oh. far as... Uh, don't say that out too loud. You'll you'll anger some Star Trek fans. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Pendy. I think that was an excellently done movie. Yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, I like the uh, of the the new ones, uh, the Abrams ones. Uh, I like the first two. I like how they kind of you know they rebuilt the universe uh, with the whole with with what they did uh, with the, in the first movie to kind of you know basically do a, a hard reset. I thought I was I was fine with that. I thought it was a good good uh, plot device so that they could basically go on use the the new remade crew and kind of have newer adventures. And, but the third movie kind of fell flat for me It's still okay. But the first two movies were really good. I thought I really enjoyed those. See, I really enjoyed the third one beyond. I liked that. I liked that one a lot. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I liked that one the most. I thought it was fine, but I could see where it <clears throat> stopped the remakes. Sadly. I, I, uh, I guess because the only there was only one thing in that movie that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but at the same time it's funny in retrospect, and that's um, that's when that that's the scene when they go when when Kurt goes, let's put on some classical music, and then proceeds to play Beastie Boys. <laughs> uh, yeah, they. I think they did uh, one of the smartest things they did with the the Abrams movies is they did really good with casting everybody because that's something they could have easily messed up with a bunch of different characters on, on those movies and uh, all the, all the people that they got for those uh, character roles were great, uh, especially uh, because I'm a fan favorite of um, Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz and stuff like that. I really love too. They got to play Scotty. So I always like seeing his, oh, yeah. him playing characters and stuff like that. That was definitely a nice touch. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. The casting for those films were uh, per- was perfect. Um, I don't. I have mixed feelings about the Kelvin verse films. Like I, I've, I like the first one, all right, when it came out, and I loved Beyond. I didn't care much for Into Darkness, but I'll, throughout all of them, the the casting was spot on. Yeah, I would say uh, someone uh, mentioned this as their favorite as well, but um, Undiscovered Country is definitely one of my favorites when it comes to the uh, original. Uh, original crew the tos crew uh that came that movie came out in 1991 when i was 11 and there's a lot of nostalgia and good memories that that goes along with when i saw this movie because this is basically kind of like the first 
adult movie I got to see as a kid in the movie theaters. Uh, it's something that my dad brought me to, and and uh, I loved every minute of it. It was it was nice. It was like, you know, my first like non Disney, non cartoon kind of movie that I got to see in the theaters as a kid. Uh, and I love the opening in that movie where you've got the mystery assassins that uh, turned off the gravity in the ship, and they had like the, the I think it was like magnetic magnetic boots that let them walk walk around as you know basically normal and start shooting everybody, and like the blood kind of came out and these little round globules and kind of floated around in the air Isn't, that was really they cool purple wasn't that the blood the purple blood yeah i think so and uh did and plus, they cg that i can't remember i, I can't remember if it did. was practical or not i think that i think they did but it, it for me as an 11 year old kid i was like ooh, that looks amazing <laughs> at the time in 1991 uh and then of course one of the other reasons why this movie is so good is getting christopher Plummer as a shakespearean quoting klingon that was great <laughs> uh, they, uh, they, they also had David Warner back as another as a Klingon again. Nice. Or nice. really, this would be before he came back in TNG. I can't remember yeah. if the Four Lights was after this movie or before. It would have been after. plan. Uh, we get, you know, we get that hilarious scene where there's a character that can morph into anybody they want to. So you basically have two Kirks, kind of hamming it up against each other. So that was that was funny. Uh, oh. on, on a side note, I saw William Shatner at a pop culture con last year before all the COVID madness took place. The guy is—I've never seen him, seen him in public uh, live before. He's absolutely hilarious, though. I do see why he doesn't get along with with uh, everyone. Uh, famously. Like with the the guy who plays uh, uh, Sulu, uh, he has he definitely have a he has a strong and very almost forceful personality. <laughs> yeah, George Takei. Yeah, 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 George Takei. Oh, yeah, you know he, he's pretty sorry. entertaining to listen to. I, another thing I liked about uh, Undiscovered Country was the um, Klingon cameo from Michael Dorn. Yes. Oh yeah. As the, as the lawyer, the... he was the lawyer yep. in the trial for the yep. uh, officers. Wasn't like he basically playing like his grandfather? Yeah. More or less, yeah. Yeah, that was a nice touch as well. So the last movie that I'm going to talk about that's one of my favorites, I'm probably going to lose all my my Star Trek cred for this, but really I didn't really have any Star Trek cred to begin with. (laughs) But uh, my favorite, one of my favorites is actually Nemesis, the last uh, generation or TNG movie. I actually uh, love that movie. It was the last uh, TNG movie that they did. I know a lot of people might disagree with me on this, but I think that the the way the TNG cast went out was a, a high note with this movie, and the bad guy is expertly played, well, at least in my opinion, by Tom Hardy, who would later go on to play Venom and Bane in The Dark Knight. So for me, I, I like this movie. I know a lot of people hate on this movie, but I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I yeah, did it, not realize that it was Tom Hardy. It has been probably 15 years since I've seen this movie, and I did not realize it was Tom Hardy. Yeah, he was the Romulan Picard clone. Yeah, um, Nemesis, uh, that's one I, I really hated when it uh, first came out. And uh, I don't remember all the reasons why, but re-watching it recently with my wife, like it, it's not anywhere near as bad as we've all been making it out to be. Um, I definitely don't like what they did with Data at the end. And it does suffer from the, the movie Picard problem of 
that character not being like the one from the show. But um, it was better than Generations. And, you know, I mean, it's just a I mean, it's a simple story. Uh, Tom Hardy's good in it. Yeah, I. I'm not sure where all the hate comes from. Maybe it's, uh, I mean, I guess if I had to pick something big, it would probably be the, the Remans that uh, weren't the addition of the Remans, which wasn't really consistent at all with what we'd seen of Romulan culture before. But now that I mentioned that, we haven't seen a ton of Romulan culture before this. That's true, because they were all so uh, secretive and, and private. It was They were kind of like the North Korea of uh, the Star Trek world. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and when I rewatched it recently with my wife, that this was the first time I've seen it since the mid two thousands when I first saw it, really. So yeah, I, I was sort of pleasantly surprised to to see how well it held up. Uh, I wish I could remember what all the problems I had with it were when I was a teenager. <laughs> Probably just angsty problems. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say it's like one of the best films. I, I still probably wouldn't pick it for my favorite, but it's, it's not a bad film. Mm. Agreed. I, I, I don't take away any credit from you, Pendy. Not at all. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's been too long since I've watched it. It's probably due for a rewatch. I mean, oh, I, I and can... uh, what's his name? Uh, Ron Perlman. He's in it. Oh, that's right. He's like the, what, second in command? Uh, yeah, he's that, the Tom he's Hardy the character. Yeah, yeah that's right. The, that, if that is one thing I do love about Star Trek is that you can almost always find a cameo of somebody. Mm-hmm. He plays a pretty significant role. Yeah. All right. Anybody else got some final thoughts? We've been going for a long time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not really. Not anymore. <laughs> I could philosophize I about Star Trek for a long time. I'll just sum it up and say I love it. Uh, me too. Me too. I think that's why we're all here tonight. That's why we're uh, going for nearly three hours. Wow. Yeah. We might beat the Vita episode. Well, <laughs> I, when I saw that we were going to do all the shows and a section on the movies, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> Not that I mind, but yeah, I was like, this is going to take a while. <laughs> and you know what? Good thing we did it now before there are three more ep- three more different shows coming. Oh, that's, that's right. oh, but guys, we haven't talked about the novels or comic books. <laughs> oh man! I did mention the novels. I've read hundreds of them. All right, I've got, not really. I've got some board some, games I can talk about. <laughs> some of the novels are pretty good. Uh, some of them aren't, but you know, it, in podcasts and comic-related news, um, I think it was I was doing Dragon Quest eight and nine podcasts with RP Gamer a few years back, and um, with Phil, who's been on one of our Slime Time episodes, and he was the host of. Um, RPG backtrack back then and he was I was just like summarizing Dragon Quest 8 or Dragon Quest 9 going off for like 20 minutes all by myself and in the background he's typing he's like oh I'm on the humble bundle store oh my god I think there's like a humble bundle of like every Star Trek comic book ever for like 30 bucks I'm totally gonna buy this and that crashed the episode because it was He bought it and he started downloading it, which was a very bad thing to do in the middle of recording. <laughs> we had to stop. You know, he, he was like, oh, man, the download killed that. Nope. That was like, jeez, oh, something 30, 40 gigs or something like that. He's like, I'll have to download that a little bit later. But <laughs> comics have been around for a very long time. There's a lot. Of yep. Them. So uh, I, guess, I guess occasionally they go in the Humble Bundle store. Yeah, there was even I mean, it had a um, it had a pretty long run of newspaper comics not just like comic book yeah. comics too oh i didn't know that yeah i forgot about those i've never read any of the newspaper comics but i, 
I know that they've been collected because I was in a I was in a uh, comic book shop recently and I saw a collected volume of all of the newspaper comics and I had I've never read them myself so I think that was a big thing in the UK like like they didn't have the show I think they got some of our newspaper comics I, I may be wrong on that Oh have you guys seen the uh, that uh, documentary series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us and they did a uh, Star Trek Toys episode that was pretty good Yeah I watched that one yeah, that one was pretty good. I like how uh, half half of the episode was them talking about how do we properly market this? We've never marketed anything like this before. We don't know what to sell. <laughs> and then some of the unrelated uh, toys that they came out with that had nothing to do with the show. That was that was great. You know, some like, of the funny like stuff. Like the that they... uh, the infamous Spock helmet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, if we're talking about uh, Star Trek toys that uh, didn't actually come from Star Trek, maybe it's time to put an end to this episode of Slime Time SideQuest. End it. It's bedtime. Yes. Thank you so much, Osnervar, Pendy, and Brurian for joining us to talk about all the Star Trek. Oh, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. It was. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Been looking forward to this episode since last fall. Yeah. And like I said, I think our discussions on the den back in uh, about Picard a year ago really set this up. And once we uh, knew we were doing side quests, we we knew we were going to be doing this. So uh, for everyone else, for something. yeah, <laughs> the maybe the best thing that came from it, <laughs> except for the Troy and Riker episode. Love that. All right. Well, you might have heard a little static a few times there near the end of the episode. Um, unfortunately, Angus was eaten by the beast at Tangara. Um, but Kazi's children, their faces wet. Yangus will be back, clear as a bell, next episode, I'm sure. Um, something you didn't hear there at the end is us mention Patreon, because the only time we ever mention Patreon in Slime Time is when we say we don't use Patreon. We're all just longtime fans um, of Star Trek, of Dragon Quest, of whatever, that want to speak about the topics we know and love so much. If you do happen to have some money sitting around that you'd like to donate, uh, consider sliding on over into the Dragon's Den at www.wudas.com slash den and click on support this site. Wudas has owned and maintained the den for fan site for over 20 years, and <clears throat> he'd appreciate any donation. Uh, you can also use his Amazon affiliate links to make any purchases, uh, especially ordering all the new uh, Dragon Quest 11s's that are out for all the various systems now. Um, 3DS games, whatever you can still buy on Amazon, he's got links there for his affiliate links and won't cost you anything, but a fraction of that sale will go to support the den. If you've got any suggestions for a future SideQuest episode, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can reach out to uh, me on Twitter or Discord or the Dragon's Den. You can reach out to Yangus, pretty much any of us. Um, send us personal messages on the Discord or on the Den. Uh, we've still got a list. It's dwindling a little bit at this point now that we've done 13 of these, but we've got a list full of ideas. Uh, we would still be happy to add more to them or revisit some of them. Maybe we'll be back here in another year or two doing talking about the uh, next three Star Trek episode or series that are planned. Well, let's do a deep dive into the Orville. That would actually be pretty cool, too. That is, for that. Uh, that that's uh, more Star Trek than a lot of recent Star Trek is. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Mirab, sales unfurled. Yeah.